Hey, Soul Fam, here we go with a new episode of Ceremony Circle Podcast. I am your host, shaman and author, Allison Charles, and I'm just going to dive right on into today's episode. And I'm also going to let you know right out of the gate that we do cover some potentially triggering topics. It is vital to me that Ceremony Circle Podcast is an authentic expression of the spiritual path, and anyone who truly walks it knows it's inevitable that you'll hit up against shadow aspects. Those are patterns and behaviors about yourself that you may feel super shameful or embarrassed about, but it is vital to face because leaving those unaddressed leaves you disconnected, not fully embodied in your wholeness, not unconditionally loving of yourself and healthily integrated, and much more. So today, I sit down with an incredible couple Ta and Cole Witty, a.k.a. Ta Cole. Now, they do a lot in service to humanity in the world, and they're also the kind of folks that labels and limiting titles just do not suit. But to give you a brief understanding of who they are, they are psychedelic facilitators, psychedelic educators, and psychedelic facilitator educators. <laughs> now, Ta has overcome a lot, including sexual addiction, a lot of trauma. He used to be an ER nurse for 25 years. Cole emerged from a Mormon past, emerged from multiple sexual assaults, nearly dying from a drug overdose and being in a coma at a very young age. And she also emerged from being Miss Teen Utah. They're deeply studied in many things, including shamanic traditions and they are the perfect people to have a totally real and raw spiritual conversation with, shadow and all. So here is your potential trigger warning. We dive into sexual trauma, sex addiction. At points, some very honest and traumatizing experiences are covered. Examples of abuses, a derogatory term is said while honestly sharing about these traumatizing experiences and what was endured. And I wanted to start the episode with covering these topics because I feel that the vast majority of the pain body, disconnection, and dysfunction energies on the planet are from sexual experiences or encounters that cause trauma or wounding. And then most times they go unspoken about and they are unaddressed. And then that pain perpetuates. So Ta shares very openly about his sexual past, starting from very young age, shifting into addiction with it. So I'm giving you a heads up on this. If any of this feels extra sensitive for you, perhaps there's something extra you want to do to prepare to enter into this ceremony. However, at the same time, I do want you to know you'll be held in totally safe space. That's what all of us are known for. And for those who have been immersing in Ceremony Circle podcast episodes with younger folks, I would recommend listening to this episode first, then discerning if this is a gathering the younger folks are ready to share in. This is an incredibly rich and rewarding episode because along with all of that realness, we're also very real and go in detail about the steps taken to transmute and transcend these deeply ingrained behaviors and patterns that were at one point dehabilitating and causing harm in life. Now, perhaps my favorite part, it's all about radical honesty and radical self-honesty. These are the huge keys in life, and they share what they do and the steps they've taken in life to experience all of this. We also get into plant medicines and psychedelics, especially Wachuma, which is another term for San Pedro, and we also talk about psilocybin. 
We learn about them and why San Pedro may be a more supportive plant versus others, especially for entrepreneur types who really push themselves a lot. We dive into talk holes coming together to be of service and answering the call to support others, especially through psychedelic education, which is incredibly important. And for those of you listening, if your soul has been knocking at you to evolve, change in some way, we cover the two very specific questions to ask yourself that can change everything for the better. Another important piece we get into is working with shamans and facilitators whose main goal is your sovereignty and not needing to work with shamans or other facilitators for long. It's always important to ask yourself, are these facilitators in support with me being sovereign? Because they definitely should be. They share why they do not play into the narrative that marriage is hard. That's simply not the reality for them. And they share their keys for their quote unquote honeymoon phase, never stopping. And there is an epic closing ceremonial offering that is very different than all the others we've been blessed to immerse in so far. So get ready. This one is a rocket ship of realness and amazingness that I am so proud to share with you. You are now entering a safe space for all that you are and one that accepts you completely with talk cold. Oh my gosh. Hi. Hey. <laughs> I was just reflecting on how great it is to actually be sitting here with you guys. And before we went live to record, uh, you know, we were holding hands and just officially getting the ceremony circle conjuring in place. And I've just loved being here in Texas actually seeing you guys and talking to you guys in person. Mutual. It's so it's so great to have you in Texas. Welcome. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> I know when I was doing my Instagram post saying or stories saying you guys were coming, I chose the the howdy from Texas, you yes. know, and, and uh, I went to college at the University of Alabama. So it's been kind of fun for me. I actually haven't ventured into the South much since. And my college time was a long time ago. <laughs> and so it's been nice to hear some Southern draws again. True. You know, and to, and to be in this mix because we're going to get into so many different things. But we all have New York City backgrounds. True. Yep. You know, Brooklynites, Brooklyn in the house. Yeah. In the house. <laughs> and somehow we're all sitting here in Texas. Right. <laughs> you couldn't have told us that five years ago. You could tell me right now because it's 71 degrees today. And Truth. it's like... 40 in New York. I mean, can I get a rattle for that? <laughs> what? I, I too relish in the warmth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been so good to be here. So I, I was really honing in, you know, because we could go anywhere with the three of us. Yeah. And yet a couple of what I feel were emerging as the, the juicier, places for us to go. And also, in my opinion, perhaps the most needed places for whatever reason, they, there were just a few that emerged to the top. But before we get into those specific topics, I know, you know, those of us who are healers, or maybe you guys don't even call yourself healers, uh, those of us doing this transformational evolutionary work in the public space, we have to tell our backstories a lot. And I was feeling into that with you guys. I was like, do we need to go into those backstories that we kind of tell like a broken record over and over again? But I do think, 
I would like for you guys to share a little bit just because you have both been through a lot and I don't want to just kind of skirt over that, if that's even the phrase, skirting over. Let's go <laughs> with where you guys have come from because with the areas that you guys have really done a lot of personal work, those tended to then emerge as the nuggets that I want to get into deeper with. Yeah. So let's actually start with you. Ah, yeah. Hi. Hi, <laughs> yes. And I just dipped into a, a couple of interviews that you did before, mm -hmm. but I didn't hear the whole thing. But I really enjoyed your honesty when it came to the sexual pieces of your mm -hmm. path. And I think that that is such an important thing for us to be honest about because I think it's safe to say that the majority of humans living on earth right now have encountered some sort of sexual encounter that altered the course of their life, that was perhaps uh, traumatizing to some degree. And those kinds of experiences can then create a lot of dysfunction. And when these pieces aren't talked about openly and aren't transcended faced, you know, doing all the healing work around, I think that this one piece and this one piece alone can be responsible for the vast majority of the pain body on earth. Mm -hmm. So that's why I would love for you to just talk a little bit about your childhood and some of your awakening pieces along the way. And then of course your time being in the ER for all the years that you were there. So please enlighten Sure. Us. So my name is Ta Witty, and it's awesome to be here with you amazing folks listening and with you and you and you and you and you and you. So, and the buffalo. And, and, and the buffalo. And the buffalo behind me. Which bison has been a big messenger, messenger for me this year. So this is great. A lot of backdrop. <laughs> great. So <clears throat> I just recently turned 49. Really? Yeah. Baby really. face. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, now. Listen, I, it, <laughs> if, you saw me, if you saw me 10 years ago, you wouldn't recognize this this body and this face and I used to wear glasses. I don't wear glasses anymore. I've been actually working on turning things back and removing all of the the stuff that's been in the way of me actually living. Love it. So I've been I've been working on my body in in some really really awesome ways. So I had a lot going on in my life. I practiced nursing for twenty five years. I've been a nurse for twenty eight. I have a thirty year old daughter. My daughter just turned thirty. I have two grandkids. And I've been through a lot of stuff. And when I was a kid, you know, there was, there, there was a lot going on with me and my brother. We were born very close together, 23 months mm. apart. And there was a time when I was a child that I asked my mother, how come we're so close in age? And she said, because you were the surprise baby. Uh, we didn't plan for you. So I took that as I was a mistake. And I internalized that and I crafted my entire life around making sure my mother loved me. So I hid everything that I thought my mother would disapprove of from everyone so that by, there was no chance of anything rooting around and getting to my mother because I was afraid that she wouldn't love me. So I crafted my whole life around lies. Mm. So lies, not just lies, but hiding my truth, hiding how I felt because I was afraid how I felt would hurt my mother. 
I was afraid if I got angry, it would hurt my mother. All of these things I was afraid. Oh, I just feel, I can just see this, the scared, so scared inside. I was was a very frightened child. And so I was also, my brother would hit me a lot. And I was afraid of my brother, tremendously afraid of my brother. So I I would hide and I would go to sleep at night and I wouldn't be able to wake up. And so I wet the bed. I went to bed until I was 14 years old. Mm. And so I had had tremendous issues around my sleep when I was a kid. So I, I went to bed and I, there was a lot of punishment around it. There was a lot of shaming around it. Um, my brother went and told everyone at school that I went to bed. It was, a, it was a big deal for me. Can I just reflect? I'm getting so many visions for some reason while you're talking. And it's like just the shame and fear circle going with that shame and fear circle going with that shame and fear circle and they're just like compounding and building and it, like a web of it yeah now i mean that was just a few things and so you know there was there was a lot of stuff that happened to me as a kid that put me into a place where i experimented sexually a lot and how do, why do you think those pieces correlated well my brother would would call me all kinds of stuff and the, the the babysitter's kids, we we would go to babysitter and the babysitter's kids would kind of torture me. They would tie me up and they would put me in, in closets and boxes and stuff. And they would pick up the phone and, and tell, uh, act like they were calling the devil and then tell me that the devil was going to come eat me. They would boil water and tell me to tell, you know, pick up the phone and be like, yeah, we're going to put him in the pot in a few minutes. And uh, I'm telling How you, scary. <laughs> I'm telling you, I had some stuff happen to me as a kid that really drew me into some weird places. So there was a point where my brother, my brother hated me. Like there, there was incessant hate. And I, and I still haven't had an, uh, an opportunity to really sit with him and find out why he hated yeah, me so much. I was just so going to ask you that. But I, you know, that's part of my unraveling. But there was, there were points in my life where my brother would call me faggot. That was a thing in Brooklyn, you know, to call to call somebody a faggot. And so one time I asked my mother what that meant. And she told me it was a, a word that we don't use, but people use it to talk about men who have sex with men. Mm. And so my brother and, and at the same time, my mother would tell me to listen to your brother. He's older than you. Make mm. sure you listen to him. So I took that on. And so he would always tell me, You're a faggot. You're a faggot. You know, shut up, you faggot. Sit down, you faggot. And so one time the dog jumped on me and tried to hump my leg. And she said, even though even a dog knows. And so I started to get this idea that maybe this was me. And it was such a terrible thing in the hood to be called this. I was hiding it. I wanted to make sure my mother didn't find out about it. But I figured that this was what, if everybody else knew this was me, I, I, I guess this was me in the background. So I had all these things happen to me that led up to me experimenting with girls, with boys, all this stuff when I was a kid. About like how how old were you when you started to experiment? Eleven. So yeah, 11. I was approached. I was approached, and and so this started when I was about eleven. So from maybe eleven to thirteen, there was some really weird stuff going on wow. in the background where I was being touched and all. It just it, it gets really deep. Mm-hmm. So at thirteen, I decided that that wasn't that wasn't I'm, I'm not participating in any of this stuff anymore, and so. But I still had a lot of sexual charge in my body. Mm-hmm. So I was always looking for sex. And I started to masturbate. And all of this stuff started happening in my life. And I started to meet girls. And I was really into girls. I was always into, into, into girls, girls, girls. So I met a girl when I was 16. I used to skateboard. I was a, a street skater. I used to compete. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was literally looking to do something with my body to make sh- so that I couldn't feel all the other stuff. And so... 
so I met this girl when I was 16 who told me she was 15 when she was really 13. And so we had this amazing sex life. Like it was, it was crazy. We had sex all day, every day, whenever her mother would go to work. <laughs> right. And so this became this amazing sex situation. And she's still the gauge right now. To, to this day, she is still the gauge to any woman that I would have sex with to be. That's a, wild. Yeah, it's pretty wild, right? I mean, that's how wild the sex was. And so, so I mean, how deep can I go on your podcast? I, I, w- I really, especially with the two of you, because of the work that you guys do and the true embodiment and okay. the safe, sacred space, you know, I'm... So, so we had this whole oral sex game going on. It was pretty awesome. And it was pretty fantastic. And so... I, I ended up breaking up with her to see another girl. And so she was very angry at me. So she called me one day and she said, you know, I need to talk to you. And I went over and I talked to her and she said that she had sex with my brother to get back at me. And she asked me if I was mad and I said, no. And, and she started to tell me a bunch of stuff about how she felt. And, and she asked me if, if I ever thought about why someone her age could perform oral sex the way she does. And I said, no, I never, I never thought about it. And so she said, well, she, she started to tell me about her parents and her parent, her mother was a, was a black woman and her father's a white guy. And she told me that the father hated the mother for having a black baby for him. And so he would invite his friends over on the weekends and make her mother leave. And he would have her perform oral sex on all of his friends and have sex with her. Mm. And, and she would have sex with them. Oh and so that's weird. And so, so, wow. so, yeah. so, so oral sex, this is my, it's my favorite thing. It, it's, it just is. And so to have the, the greatest sexual pleasure in my life be given to me by such a horrible circumstance, right. it threw me into a spiral of, of shame. Got it. Right. And so now I couldn't ask any woman to do this with me. Wow. And so not, Oof. not that I was in a relationship with. And so it, it turned into this whole thing where I would pay for oral sex. And so this was, this was the thing. And how did that make it feel safer for you to do by paying? Because nobody, nobody knew, nobody would ever find out. Okay. My family would never know. My friends would never know. And they would never get back to my mother. <laughs> right. So this is all, this was this, this spiral of shame and I fell into, it. and it became this obsession of, of me hiding stuff. And so I hid everything about my sexuality. I hid everything about my sex life. I hid everything about the pleasures and the things that made me feel nice. I hid everything about myself. Because hiding was the only w- thing that felt safe. The only thing that felt safe no. because nobody else would know. So I, I hid all this stuff from everyone. And so it was this weave of lies. And I was, and, and not, only, not only that, but I was also, I, I got to a point when I graduated from nursing school, I got to a point where I was having sex with five or five, maybe six people a week, different people. And so it, I got into this spiral of hiding and lying and lying and telling stories. And I was going out with this one and going out with that one and cheating on this one. And all of these lies were happening. Meanwhile, I'm working in the hospital to keep people alive, right? right? And so this, so the hospital was the only time I could move out of that space and focus. And I would focus directly on my patients. And so all of my energy would go into them. And then when I would leave, I would get overwhelmed as soon as I left. And so I had insomnia from, from so when I, was, when I was 14, I tell you, I went to bed till I was 14. Right. When I got to high school, I, want, I didn't want anybody to know that I went to bed. So I just didn't go to sleep. 
And so it it became a oh physiological. <laughs> yeah, it was a mess. <laughs> it became a physiological habit for me to not go to sleep. And so I didn't know how to go to sleep anymore. And so when Cole met me, what you met me when I was like 30. Well, when initially four, or when four, we started dating? When we first were. In 2010, I, I, is when we first I, I met, met. I met her. Yeah, and so that's I still had insomnia, and I, and I would three hours of sleep tops, tops a night, and and this went on for 30 years, and so I I couldn't sleep. <laughs> my body was dysregulated. I was going through all this stuff. I was doing all this fitness. Everything stuff. was dysregulated. Everything was yes. bananas. <laughs> my whole body was was uh, was in utter turmoil all the time. I am in. Utter, I mean, because I specifically <laughs> didn't want to listen to everything. I just wanted to understand totally. so that I could formulate and then really do this. Right. But I am blown away at all of the work that I know you have had to do to heal, face, transcend. You've literally told us two threads of a million that you've gone through. Right. I am like... I just cannot wait to get to the part where we can hear and learn some of the most impactful practices that you did to transcend all of this. Mm -hmm. Because you were completely dysregulated and lost. Completely. And to have then been able to find yourself, wow. Okay. And, <laughs> and to credit the planet, right? I was able to sustain myself and maintain myself through all of this stuff and come up with a way to navigate my life and to help people navigate their lives that is... is I just, I can't explain it in words. And so I'm grateful for all of it. Sure. I, I don't look back and I'm not like, oh, I wish that never happened to me. I'm like, I'm glad all this stuff mm -hmm. happened. So because now I have this way of navigating life that is crazy. I feel like no matter who would come to you with whatever they need to share, you can hold space for kind of anything. Anything, anything. <laughs> and I mean, listen, you know, and and so I, so this this went on from when I was, I, I had insomnia from when I was 14 until what, seven years six, ago? Seven six, seven years six, ago. Six, probably, no, probably yeah. seven. Six or seven years yeah. ago. That, that my So in your 40s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when my insomnia, safe way, like I was 41 or 42 when my insomnia went. When she came, when she came to spend the night one night, I went to sleep and I started blaming my sleep on her. Mm. And so the conversation that we had, and I can get into this later, the conversation that we had that night, I, divul I divulged a lot of stuff I had never told to anybody. So all the secrets I was holding in my body was actually holding a posture of tension. And, it got, and I got to let go of it. And so mm. I went, my body went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's where I started to explore radical honesty. Right, radical self honesty was a, is a huge part of how we work with people is being really, really honest so that the whole organism can relax. But I have to ask you a question because you literally, from the time you were just the littlest, littlest boy, developed a way of functioning through lying to preserve. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure this union, and of course, the medicine that instantly happens there, and who she is, I'm sure played, of course, a big role, but like there, I feel like there had to have been some other piece. How did you get to that place where you said, okay, or did you just automatically begin to purge it? And it wasn't a thought process because you went from hiding it all to then sharing. Was there any other thing that gave you permission to do that? There was a, there was a couple of things that were kind of staggered with me really leaning into being honest. And Cole is a, is a huge part of it. And thank you, baby. I love you. She's a huge part of me becoming honest. My grandson being born was a, was a huge thing for Why? me. Why? 
Okay, let's get into that. <laughs> so my daughter, my so my daughter, I had sex with her mother once. Okay, and and she and and we got pregnant, and there was this whole thing around my daughter. And my my mom used to tell me never to come, don't come home with no baby out of wedlock. Because this is all in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't come home with no baby out of wedlock. So I was afraid. Okay, I was definitely afraid of of my mother finding out that I had a kid, and so I didn't know. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell anybody. My my daughter's mother came to my house and rang the doorbell and told my mother she was carrying a child for me. And my mother was like, is this possible? I was like, I don't know, maybe. And so my mother was like, you better take care of that. How old were you? I was 17 and a half. Young. Yeah, I just turned, okay, I didn't just, okay. uh, yeah. And how far along was she at this point when your mom found out? Uh, two months, okay. three months. So my mother told her to have an abortion. And so, you know, this is, this is a big deal. And so... I don't know what was going on with my mother at that time. Uh, my mother was, she was just getting into, she, my mother's a physician and she was getting into her, her medical practice and she was getting ready to move away from New York to, to do some work in Detroit. And so I don't, I, I didn't really talk to my mother in depth. There was a lot of space between me and my mother. Mm. I always wanted to be close to my mother, but I didn't allow myself to because I was afraid. <laughs> so, and my mother was busy all the time. So, so there's a lot of stuff with that. And so, I never told anybody about my daughter unless it was absolutely necessary. And so, and this was something because I was afraid. I was afraid people would find out. My mother would always have critiques on me being a father. And I always felt like I was this terrible father. So when did your mom know that her advice was not taken? About Oh, uh, so when my daughter's mother moved to Sacramento and she, I started to get child support letters in the mail and I, and I had them. And then she sent me a picture of my daughter when she was eight months and I put it on the refrigerator. Well, that was a bold move. <laughs> it was. I put it on the refrigerator and my mother was like, whose kid is this? And I was like, she looks just like me. It's mine. And so there was a lot of denial going on. And, you know, and so I didn't see my daughter until she was two and a half. The first time my daughter's mother came to New York. And I saw my daughter when she was two and a half and we had a DNA test then. That's when you had to draw blood and it was like a thousand dollars or some craziness to get a DNA test. And then my mother finally settled into the idea. And so there was a lot of shame around just being a parent. My mother's, you know, there were, there were looks that my mother gave me that put me in would put me into paralysis. So your greatest fear is coming true. You've been doing, you've been working your whole life to, <laughs> to preserve her love for you, uh-huh. and now you're being confronted with yep. her disappointment. Yep, yep. So you know, it was, it was it was a rough road. And so when when my grandson was born, and and I toured around the world, I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of people in music, I have a lot of fans, and I never spoke about my daughter. And my 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 daughter had her her son. And I put pictures of him on Facebook and I started to get phone calls from friends. Now, Marcus, the guy that's listening on Clubhouse, right. he, he knows my story. He's one of my closest friends on the planet. And thank you for listening, brother. He knew about my daughter, but most everybody else did not. And so I put the picture of my grandson and I started getting phone calls and people were like, grandson, I didn't even know you had a kid. Right. And so 
I started to get static from a lot of my friends and people were angry, like angry. We've been on tour and we've done this together. I thought and, I knew you. And I thought mm-hmm. I knew you. I was at your wedding and all of this stuff, Whoa. right? Oh, so now <laughs> you're starting to see what happens from the building of the lies. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And so, <laughs> you, need move, you guys need a movie. And, and, so, and, and so like people were at my wedding, like my first wedding, my first marriage, my daughter was there, but most people didn't know that it was my daughter. And I didn't walk around like, hey, this is my daughter. It was about me and my ex-wife, right? So I didn't say nothing. And so could you imagine being in a space with 150 guests and you're just and you're and you're still hiding something? something major in your life. Are you kidding me? This the, the amount of brain power that requires to dance in a space where you know some people know and some people don't and you just don't share it, the amount of the amount of work that that takes on the human brain and the human physiology is uh, is astounding. It, it's so know. energetically exhausting and on top of that you still weren't sleeping. I do not know how you made it through. Okay. I, I, I'm here. Yeah. And so and so this is why I talk about this stuff and this is why when people come to me they're always welcome. And so we had this we used to do this three-day party at my house every year for my birthday. So Friday, it would start Friday and it would un- end on Sunday. It was 24 hours. We had DJs coming through. People were coming, open kitchen and all this stuff. And I invited my daughter. And How old is she at this point? It was five years ago. She, she was, 20, uh, she was, was it before, before Zay or was it, it was, after? It was after Zay Was it after? I think it was after Zay Yeah, it was after. So maybe, maybe it was four years ago. It was the last party that we had. So in her 20s, like yeah. grown adults. Oh, yeah. Her, yeah She's an adult. 20s, yeah. In her 20s. And I brought her in to the party. I stopped the music and I introduced her to everyone. And I cried. Oh, what a moment of liberation. Like, like I cried. I feel like crying right now. Like I cried. Cried. It was beautiful. And, and it was frightening. But it was, it was so liberating. And I apologized to her and to everybody. Yeah. It's crazy. So... That was a, a huge part of my, uh, the next step of my expansion of being honest. When all of my people were on board, mm. like I could just start letting it out. And I was just, then I was on Facebook just letting stuff out. <laughs> it was just like, I was just That's airing. That's when people started getting and concerned. People started though. getting concerned because mm. I was just airing everything out. I was like, mm. yeah, I've had sex with this person and I've done that. And blah, blah, blah. You were taking, okay, so the pendulum swung. Oh, yes. Oh, oh man. Well, and, and, so and like his, just, his family was like, do we need to call a therapist? You oh, need to yeah. see a psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah, my, I was on Facebook <laughs> crying every other week and people were like, oh, Todd's crying on Facebook again. again. <laughs> and so and so it was just I just aired everything out. And so as I started airing all this stuff out, my body started to get lighter mm-hmm. and all this stuff just started to release. All of this stuff started to go away. All of this stuff like any pains that I had, ailments, rashes, skin conditions, all these things just started to fall off. And so my eyesight started clearing up. And I wore glasses from the time I was like 10, 10 or 11 until what, 4 5 years ago. Five, it was May five years ago that I took my glasses off and and I passed my driver's license exam uh, recently with no with no glasses on. Mm-hmm. Like this, I'm like, yeah, more of this. <laughs> and so and so I just keep being honest about all the stuff that I'm that uh, that's been mm-hmm. going on with me. And this is a, a huge part of how I bring people in this stuff. You know, I, I practiced nursing for 25 years. Uh, graduated in 1992. My last shift was December 12, 2016, when when I hung up the stethoscope. How'd that feel? Frightening and liberating at the same time. Because were you at that point, you two were together oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and already d- doing work, I would guess. And so were you at that exact point surrendering and letting go into spiritual ta? 
or like what was so frightening about it? What was so frightening about what in particular? It's putting up the stethoscope <clears throat> and saying goodbye to oh, that life. Well, well, first of all, you know, the, the attachment I had to my mother in, in my career. So my mother was a nurse and she became a physician. And so, you know, to, to leave nursing and to just not have a, a proper job and to just be going and doing whatever, it was frightening for me in, in reference to my mother. What would my mother think? I would tell Cole all the time, man, you know, the only reason I'm hanging on to this is because what will my mother say? If you leave, if I left nursing, okay, right? What would she think of me? You know, what would she think of me? She she already doesn't believe in my music, you know, and that was a huge part of my my income and stuff was my music and and uh, my touring and my DJing. And so I was like, what will my mother think and all of this stuff? And so that was a huge leap for me to just leave nursing. Like I I kind of I kind of just trickled down into to like two shifts a month, and then I was just like, yeah. What did she day. say? She didn't say anything. One one. I, one day she just said, you know, I noticed that you aren't doing nursing anymore. I happen to notice that job I had <laughs> 25 years is no longer happening. I, 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 I happen I to notice that you haven't been doing this. And I'm like, no. And she was like, okay, that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And so to get that support, I also, uh, my name, my given name was Brian. Oh, right? okay. My mother named me Brian. And Brian. so when I was a kid, the name, whenever I would hear my name, I would get nauseous, like physically nauseous. So I would have, I had, since I was a kid, I had all these different names. I was trying on different names my whole life until I got to, to the, to the, after high school. And, uh, and that's where Todd, the evolution of Todd came. And so I actually changed my name legally. And when I changed my name legally, one of the most freeing things for me was when my mother actually called me Todd for the first time. Mm. And it, it, we were at IHOP on Church Avenue. I in love a Brooklyn. good IHOP story. <laughs> we at IHOP and my my niece came over and my mother said, go to your uncle. My, my mother said, go to your uncle Ta. And I was like, did I just hear that? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Mm. And so I, I sat with her and I thanked oh, her. Oh, I really give her kudos for that. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. I mean, that was another thing, you know, she gave me that name. And so, so to dishonor that was another thing. And to, to know that the name that she gave me was uh, was causing me nausea every time I heard it. Did she have an understanding then or now as to the pain that came with that name? Nope, she okay. probably doesn't. She okay. probably doesn't. And you know, I've I've done my best to sit with her. It's been it's been a challenge. Sure. I've, I've been doing a lot of work with my mom. She's a she's she's going through a lot of stuff. So she's still in Brooklyn. Yeah, she's in, she's in or Brooklyn. Back now. In she's Brooklyn. back in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, okay. she had moved. She had moved from did she moved to Detroit in the, in the nineties to. She moved from Detroit to Tennessee, Brentwood, Tennessee, and then from Brentwood, Tennessee to Houston, Texas, and then from Houston, Texas, when she retired back to New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, that's that's a part of how I got to where, where I am. Uh, I wanted desperately to leave nursing to help people stay out of the hospital because all the people that I had taken care of over the years, all the bodies that I've wrapped, the one thing that I saw in human beings the most suffering the most from was loneliness. Mm. And it's not just loneliness by being alone as a person by yourself, but being alone in your truth. And so people would tell me before they died. Oh God, sorry. I took, they took a, that uh, second for that boulder to land, but I just want to marinate in that. Okay. That was a big, big uh, truth boulder you just dropped there. Oh. They're them being alone in their truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be the title of this episode, okay? Yeah. So, so the articulation of your truth, to be honest, is not just you telling the truth. It's your full expression of how you move, of how you use your voice, 
of how your emotions come through your body. All of these things are your articulation of truth. Yes. And so if these things are thwarted or held back from family, from relationships, from government, from religion, if you hold these things back, your truth is being held back. So people would tell me before they died their deepest secrets mm. and they would die. Like mm. they would, they, their bodies would just completely relax. They've been holding this stuff in forever. And so when, whenever I had people come to the hospital, I would be, I, I'm very, I'm very friendly. I'm very loving. You can tell me anything, you know, it's very casual. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a transactional type of situation with me. I was very vested in my patients. And so they would tell me these things and some of them would just tell me and they would die. They would ask me to close a curtain and they would say stuff and they would die. And, or somebody was in a critical space bullet wounds and all of this stuff, they would tell me their secrets and they would die. And so these are the things that I wish I could tell my family this stuff. I need to tell it to somebody. And so the articulation of this, so some people would sing and they would die, right? And some people would laugh and they would die. And these are things that they never got to do in their lives is articulate their truth completely. Mm, their soul just needed to have mm-hmm. that moment. This, this is where I'm talking about radical honesty. So the, the work that I do around being honest is the articulation of myself the way I am articulating, not the way society tells me to articulate, not the way my religion would tell me to articulate, not the way my mom, and that's a thing with me is unraveling this thing with my mom because the construct that I created around my relationship with my mother and and hiding and lying hid me from everything. everything. And so so me now, I'm in this place where I'm articulating myself openly to my mother and she's like, whoa, you know? So this articulation is very important for me. And so the, the way I'm keeping people out of the hospital is showing them how they can be themselves and that it is completely accepted by me. If nobody else in this world, I accept you for all that you are in your tears, in your laughter, in your joy, in your sadness, in your anger, in your tension, in, in your, your ease, in your mm-hmm. embarrassment. If you're covered, listen, I've wiped asses, okay? Right. I've, I've cleaned out wounds the size of Texas and people's sacral areas. You've seen areas, people in their most vulnerable. And I have accepted them completely. Mm. And so I, so I started to tie all this together. And, and as I started to move into a space where, so Cole introduced me to psychedelics eight years ago. And so this moved me into a space to start tying all of these loose ends together. All of the work I had been doing on myself for mm-hmm. years, all of the stuff that I had been realizing, all of this stuff started to tie together. Yes. And I'm glad you're saying that because that is the piece that kept coming in in the last five minutes of your share is that of the journey and the process because you, the pendulum was on the, I have to lie to keep myself alive and safe, lie, lie, just lie about everything. Then you had your liberation passage points that then swung the pendulum all the other way to where you're just spewing and just getting it out, getting it out. But then the work, I would correct me if I'm wrong, but then the work began of like, okay, how do I, in a healthier, more embodied way, integrate mm-hmm. this, this medicine on this end. And then you start to get in the passageway of learning how to really, yeah, be an embodiment, hold it in a stronger, clearer way. So then you can become more of a, of a, of a teacher of it. But I understand the pendulum swings and why both ends are needed to then get into that balance point 
that it sounds like the psychedelics and the, and the plant medicine started to bring that in for you. It definitely started to bring things around and help me to open up and feel safe with myself because that safety, I did not have safety with myself. The one person that I felt safe with in this world is across this table from me. And I've opened myself up to be safe around other people and safe with myself. But she has been a, a, a person who has allowed me to speak my truth without batting an eyelash. She did not flinch at all when I told her my truth. And I never had that from anybody. Or I was afraid, I may have had it, but I was afraid to articulate that. So the way she kept me physically safe, the way she kept me energetically safe, the way she always showed up inspired me to start to trickle that out. And so when she's, she was like, oh yeah, I know what you need right now. Cause I had this, I got into this really low point where I fractured my L5 and, mm. I, and I got uh, L5 S1 herniation in my spine and I couldn't walk for three months. Mm. That was, was this, this was towards the, I kept saying, I got to get out of the hospital. I got to get out. And then my back went, <laughs> all right. So, You're welcome. So right. she was like, I know what you need. I can't articulate it in words, but you got to come to this ceremony with me. And I was like, okay, um, what is it? And she's like, well, you take these, you take these plants and you, you sit in a circle with people and you take these plants and you go off into a psychedelic realm and you find yourself. And I was like, oh, you want me to do some drugs with some hippie white people? I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> ah, no. So I was like, I'm not doing that. And so she was like, look, okay. And so she went for a ceremony and she came back and she told me about it. And she was like, I really think you should go for one. And I was, and she's like, the next one is on this date. And I was like, well, I have an album release party. She's like, bro, you can't even walk. I was like, I have an album release party to go for, for, for friends. She's like, you can't even walk, bro. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll go for you. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I didn't, I had no idea what was going on, what was happening. They gave me the lightest possible uh, heart opener that they could possibly give me. And I was scared out of my mind. And it was that day that I figured out that I was a control freak. I was always trying to control my environment and everything around it and the way people thought and all of this stuff. Which and when you're not being honest is mandatory or else you can't keep track of everything. Right. right. And so I, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm lying about everything to everybody. And the one person that I'm not lying to is laying next to me, has me in a space where I can be completely myself. And I was fighting I was, I was fighting it. Oh, okay. I see again, yet another vision that that old paradigm system in you was hitting up against the new paradigm mm-hmm. system wanting to be born. And it was that battle of the, can, am I really safe to let go <coughs> yeah. of that old way and yeah. let myself go into this completely unknown way? Mm-hmm. Oh Lord. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, yeah, it, was <laughs> it was a lot to witness. Yeah, it was, it it was, was my say, first time ex- inviting someone to one of those like plant medicine circles. And so he was, he just kept oh, yuck, I don't like this. Mm. And so my shame started kicking in and guilt. What have I done? And uh, uh, it was it was something else for, for <sighs> yeah, I was- on, on. I never saw anyone have a terrible time with a heart opener like sassafras before. So <laughs> there was that. And so, and so it was horrible. I was like, I'm never going to do this again. And then, and at one point she just said, why don't you just let go? Mm. And I let go. And everything started to come together and make sense because I was holding on to all of these stories and I let go. And so stuff started to open up and stuff started to change right at that moment. And so in the weeks to come, when you say, hold where you are, mm -hmm. but when you say when stuff started to change right in that moment, an example or two, you you felt it cellularly, you felt it, how, how? There was a clarity 
that I had never experienced before. And there was a relaxation that I had never experienced before. And there was a safety that I had never experienced before. And so, and she was holding me, like I was holding on to her. And I, she says that, that she was telling me to let go because I was holding her ribs so tight because mm. I was afraid. I let go and I fell into this ease that I had never experienced before. And I wanted more of that. Because you were letting go physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. energetically. My, my whole organism, everything, my spirit, my heart, my mind, my body, my, my, my for microbiome, everything was relaxed. Wow. Like I had never experienced that before and I wanted more of that. Okay. And so, and I, and I was afraid to admit that I wanted more of it, but I wanted more of it. So as the two weeks, as the, the two weeks to follow, I had this empathy that, that was astounding. Like we would go places and I was like, Cole, I can feel people looking at me. I can feel people thinking in this direction. I can feel all these, so all of this empathy started to come in. So I had to so integrating that was a little wonky at first. And so then we went back for another journey about, it was about a month later, right? Month. Probably. Same Mo- medicine, same mm-hmm. plan. Mm-hmm. And and this, the circle that I brought him to functions quite differently than most shamanic circles that all white, stay on your mat, be in your own experience. This one actually creates a different community energy where it is, we'll say permittable in air quotes to sit and talk to people if that's resonant for you. Right. Like they invite you to be with yourself the first little while. And then, you know, sometimes what we can't find within ourselves is what we find in reflection through someone else. So it is still our truth, but the conversation with someone else, when we finally maybe needed to say a truth out loud, something like that, Mm -hmm. like it needed the realization or the actualization of what our thought was. And so in that environment, it was perfect for him at that point because I was able to just sit with him because I'd done my own work for six years before that. I'd never shared that space with anyone. So it felt very resonant for me to be there in that space with him and for him, knowing that I had already taken all that time for me. Mm -hmm. And I was very clear in what was mine. I love that. Okay. I'm seeing it. And I feel like because we're going to get back into the heart of some of the stuff that you shared to provide some possible steps and ways that people can maybe start to do their own work. But I feel like this is the perfect time now to transition (laughs) to get the rattle out for you. I'm really loving this dance and me seeing these visions and just getting a deeper understanding of your your journey separately and then as as a sacred union couple. So with you, of course, I'm going to let you do your thing, but you're you're really going to bring in this addiction piece. Yeah. Well, and that's where we had good or like really functional overlay for each other and where I understood where he was coming from, what constructs created the ideas around substances. Which is why you were able to hold that non-judgmental space Correct. for him. Because I'd done all the work on myself. You know, if I was going to synopsize the polarities that I experienced within this realm, it was that you know, childhood trauma equals at-risk youth, that period, the end, right? Environmental and trauma, meaning too much, too fast or too little for too long. Right. And a lot of times people don't equate the fact that just their parents not being home was traumatic for some and how, so all of that to say, by the time I hit 17, I overdosed into a coma from GHB. And GHB was something I took recreationally. I was already out living on my own. Where were you living at the time? Salt Lake City. Okay. So growing up, mm -hmm, growing up in a predominantly Mormon conservative area. Was your, your family was not Mormon. They were absolutely Mormon. Yep. My father was a bishop. We were very, I mean, I went to church 
and played with all the same kids. And it was a very, very small community with a very few truths being shared. Because in the religion, if it's not something nice to say, don't say anything, right? So it goes along with the secrets thing. Wow. Um, that okay. it's, if you don't have something nice to say, you don't say anything. And then that also shows up as passive aggression in all ways. And so for me, the trauma didn't come from my family. The trauma came from extended family and the neighborhood. Actually, the parents of more of the trauma came from outside of my family structure, but then my parents worked all the time. So there just wasn't really, my parents were not equipped for me, for the energy, for the soul, for the amount of energy that I am and the questions. And then all the stuff that I went through, they didn't, they weren't equipped. Um, and this is something we've talked about in great detail. My parents are wonderful people. They did not have the tools, you know? And so they, you came have, in, you were a firecracker, I was a firecracker <laughs> doused in gasoline, uh, you know, like what are those cocktails called? The, oh, the mo- Molotov? Molotov, something Molotov like that. Molotov cocktails. The, yeah, that was me. That's where you throw and blow stuff up. Yeah, exactly. That's how <laughs> I came out of the womb, though. Mm. Like, because even my mom's epidural didn't work. Like, so before even my entry into this planet, I was very known that I was coming. And so by the time 17 hit, I'd gone to three different high schools. I didn't graduate from high school. I dropped out of high school. I was working full time and ended up in a coma from basically a bad batch of GHB. We used it recreationally to come down off of stimulants. I was running with, you know, people that were more in their late twenties, early thirties, because there's not many 17 year olds out on their own. And I was making good money. I was also selling substances. And so that was great money. How much awareness of this did your parents have at that time? At that time, like zero. (laughs) Um, My parents told me I couldn't stay in the house anymore with the way that I was living in the house. I would be gone for three days. My dad couldn't sleep. He'd be up worrying. And he said, look, I love you. I can't do this anymore. Did you get at your own place at I that did. age? Wow. Okay. Yep. I got a roommate, a woman that was looking for a roommate. I joined her. Um, I was making enough to be self-sustaining. So I just fully dropped out of school and was working and being at clubs and going out and all of that stuff. And so by this point, And, you know, and I'm watching GHB make quite a resurgence back in the scene. And I'm hearing all the same things I heard 20 years ago of, you know, it's safe as long as you know what you're doing and as long as this and as long as that. And for me, when I look at risk mitigation, I go, right, but there's so many other plants and substances that have none of this risk. And if it's really going to be about self-care, if I'm taking something that shuts my system down then I am not being consensual with my system, with my body's instinctual intelligence. I'm not giving it permission, which was where most of my trauma came from, was lack of consent. So in where that polarity swang, swung, swung, swang, <laughs> swang, swung, swung, did. <laughs> so what that did is after the coma, I knew something needed to change. And it wasn't that I felt I had a drug issue. What it was is I had an intimacy issue. I had a connection issue. And the issue was I found in the spaces of substances, I found connection. I found deep, authentic conversation that wasn't shrouded in just being nice. Like I could just talk to people. I wasn't going out to hit the club and dance all night. I was going to have intimate connections and conversations with people, which at that time was how I needed to process trauma. I didn't have anyone that could help. 
which was where a lot of the anger came from, is because no one in my field recognized that there was clearly something. I mean, it was textbook for childhood trauma. And, and when you say that the trauma primarily came from outside of your family, can you elaborate just a touch? Totally. So I used to call it malestation. Now, in what I understand with trauma, the work I've done now, the work I've done on myself, I call it assaults on my sexuality from mm. older cousins. So, and the reason I, I have differentiated that now is when I truly go back to the memory, even though I didn't want to do it, it didn't feel forceful against my will. It felt like it was in, against my indoctrination of religion, of sex or someone touching you, being dirty. And it started the week after I was baptized, which in the Mormon religion is eight years old. So for me, the true trauma was basically that I was ruined the week after my baptism. Mm. So, you know, so much goes into now, you know, right from wrong. And so, you know, even though I said after the first time my cousin touched me that I wouldn't allow it again, I didn't stop it. And so then it was this internalization of I'm dirty, bad, broken, wrong, shame. And I remember reading, there's one um, scripture, uh, Enos 2.8, I believe is what it was, that I would read over and over again. And in it, Enos is begging God for forgiveness. And to be at that age and to have this deep level, what it did is on a cellular level, it embodied shame so deeply that I developed fibromyalgia, endometriosis. And I know this to be true for me, that the the long-term patterning of shame was that I hated myself so deeply that I was creating dis-ease in my system. And so after the coma, what got me to stop wasn't the, wasn't the coma. It was seeing my younger sister coming down the path I did two years behind me at a much faster rate. And she was doing a lot of substances. And I'm not going to share her story because it's hers. But I, I valued her life far more than I ever valued mine. And it was like, the only way I could save her was to save myself, quote unquote. So three months after getting clean, I did Miss Utah Teen USA. And the platform was substance abuse education because club drugs, you know, this is late nineties, early 2000. Um, it was a, it was a thing, raves, all that. And I was honest. And this is where my honesty started to the best of my ability. And I said, look, if anyone's going to teach the youth of Utah the dangers of club drugs, it should be me. Here's my story. The thing was, yes, it gave me an opportunity to share and inspire. And I did national talk shows, Montel Williams, all the news stations. All the things that you know, a Miss Cosmo Teen girl, does. Totally. And even by the time I got to Miss Teen USA, um, it was something that was very much held against me. A few of the girls cornered me at one point and were like, you don't deserve to be here. Right. Because you've got a really, you're someone that did not graduate high school correct? and you're now at the Miss Teen USA. You're like the renegade of the Miss Teen Always USA. Always have been. <laughs> Always have been. And that was, it also taught me levels of compassion because people, I was like, what a privilege to not understand this type of trauma. Right. What a privilege to not understand when I, so when I, after I won Miss Teen Utah, the news, local news station, the, the local Fox station did a story about me and immediately followed it with them going undercover into the same group oh, that I used to hang out with. No. It was not associated. The second that story was over, my phone started to ring and I had to go into hiding. The, an undercover police officer called me first and then another guy from the community. And they were like, we need to get you somewhere safe. 
because it looks like I was a narc and this was a large infrastructure that was going on. This wasn't like some suburban kids selling ecstasy. This was like quite a large operation. And so initially the police wanted to take me into hiding. I was like, absolutely not. You go watch my family's house. I'm going to, I will go take care of myself. Um, I had enough friends that, you know, with enough guns and support that I knew I would be safe there. And I didn't want to be around my family if stuff went down. And then it was just a, a series of time to try to talk to enough people that no matter what, I was not going to say nothing, right. nothing. And it's interesting now, because even to this day, my body forced myself to forget the names. It was like, mm. no, nope, this isn't even an option because I made a commitment that I meant when I finally was able to get in touch with some people I needed to, that I said, I will never say anything. I just want out. I just want out. I don't want to do this anymore. And I want to keep other people out or people that want to be able to shift. And so that what that polarity created is then I started working for Partnership for a Drug-Free America. And I was their main story on their page. And I was getting 200 plus emails a day. And you know the trauma extended for years and years. It's not that it just happened when I was a kid. When you reach a certain point of trauma, I attracted it constantly. Right. So, you know, it was like multiple rapes, multiple sexual assaults, multiple fights and bullying. And I mean, it was very, very until 20, it was really intense. Um, and then I'd had up until 20, probably like 20 ish broken bones at that point from freak accidents. My entire existence was was this was the circumference of pain and every nuance of it. And so I was intimately aware of pain, of evil, of what humans were capable of. That was all very clear. And so as I started to work for Partnership for a Drug-Free America, then I started seeing the once an addict, always an addict, how disempowering that is to individuals to say that this substance is stronger than you Mm. versus saying, what do we need to help fortify you to recognize that nothing's more powerful than you? And so that's when I started to lean away from that world because With what I was seeing, it was another construct that was dysfunctional and everyone's trauma, even if you took it from a substance, was redirected somewhere else, whether it was cigarettes, caffeine, sugar, and we can argue whether that's better or not, but when you understand what's happening internally with disease, it's not better than any substance. That's a social construct of judgment we assign to one substance versus another. Just like we do with traumas too, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh, your trauma is not... Correct. Yes, all of those. Well, a lot of people don't allow themselves to even feel their pain because it wasn't rape, because it wasn't war, because it wasn't, you know, oh, it's not like my parents hit me. Right. The system, the body itself, it makes no difference. And honestly, with the thousands of people we've worked at at this point between our, you know, what we do now and personal training and, and taught the hospital, one thing is very, very, very clear to me. And that often when people will say, well, nothing really happened to me and they don't allow themselves to feel it, that's when we see it show up on the inside. So stomach issues, thyroid issues, adrenal issues, correct where it's literally someone not allowing themselves to feel because they don't have the right to, you're basically saying, I'm not good enough to deserve the right to feel. 
Yeah, and it's bringing to me, I'm loving this dance of like you sharing, you sharing. Then it's like, I, I feel, you know, this, this share that needs to be said exactly on this topic. So with my childhood, and I, I'm not going to get like super deep into it just because I want to keep vibing with, with your, your journeys, but with my childhood, so my dad was also my distance running coach. So he was the coach and the father, and I be, began being an athlete at two and a half years old. So I'm in my first road race competing at not even three. And so then what this dynamic, and, and just like you shared, I would not change a second of any of this, right? You know, because it's what we signed on for. It's part of our journey. And now we, we do the stuff we do because of the healing work from it. But it started to build this identity that was dysfunctional in a lot of different ways. Number one, my entire worth was being built on external validations and wins and trophies. And it's only if you are the best that you are worthy of anything, right? So that was happening. But the more specific piece I want to touch on is with this male figure he was looking to what my physical body could do in terms of the running, the athletics to, you know, feel some sort of goodness within him. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I went along with it because as a little girl, you know, of course I want to preserve the relationship I have with my father. And so little shaman alley just kind of dimmed the light on all of the awarenesses and all the gifts that I had, because it's like, okay, you've got to, you can't look there and you can't see that because if you do that, then that would be the demise of this relationship. So I turned off the spiritual gifts to preserve. And what was interesting is because of that dynamic that was melded at that young age of, I need my body to perform at the highest, best level to make this man feel good and happy and love me, me not, I mean, I was a tiny little girl and this went on, I was an athlete at the University of Alabama. So this, this was a long voyage for me of many, many years, but how it transferred for me when I got into college was the former partner that I was with. Um, we were working out a lot of um, dysfunctional karma and years later, through my awakening, I realized he had a sex addiction issue. And I was like, oh my God, I was just playing out again. What can my body do over and over and over for this man so that he is fed and fueled and feels good? And so I just, in my own evolutionary and healing journey, that was a big, when those dots connected and I was able to understand how that one fed into that one and then created that and just uh, was repatterned to look like this, you know, it, it was a really big life-changing thing. And I have hit up against that thing because people are always like, wow, if, if you're a, a shaman, you know, because most shamans and most healers, like we've been through some stuff and we faced it to get to where we're at. And I would at times hit up against that piece of just like, oh, when I tell my wounding story of my childhood, it's like, oh, your daddy made you run. You know, you, you yeah. had to become the best runner in the country. You know what I mean? And it is one of those trauma stories that feels like it's not hard enough or right. whatever, but it, it really wreaked a lot of, <laughs> a lot of havoc on my life. But again, I know that I chose it and I do not, this is not a story, uh, bashing my dad at all. I love my dad, have a you know very good relationship with him. It's just, you know, just what happened. So 
Anyways, um, I just felt compelled to share that. But what I would love to do is really, if we can, and of course, everyone's journey is different, and it's all about going within to really get in tune with what is best for you. But if we can give some people some tangible steps, so when it comes to, let's say, sex addiction, because that's a piece I don't think is talked about a lot, and it sounds like was that was part of your journey. Oh, girl, listen, I went to I, I went to meetings. I okay. went to Sex Compulsors Anonymous. I, yeah, I, I thought something was really off about me, and uh, yeah. I so did. with this piece, and then with me encountering it, with uh, being in codependent relationship with that previous relationship I touched upon, and, and my former partner having that particular addiction experience, you know, I don't know that I know exactly where I want us to go with it. I just know I want us to touch on sex addiction. So whatever's coming up for you, perhaps, Ta, like, wh- how did you start to recognize what really helped you in facing this piece? Well, I mean, you know, the, the thing with the this, this sex was that I, I couldn't figure out anything. I was, I was lost and I was lying all the time and it was exhausting and I was going to work and I start, it started to affect me at the hospital because it was, I was having a hard time staying focused because my body was so exhausted. And so I didn't know what to do. And so I started to, you know, this is when the internet started to, to, to pick up. Uh, this was in, uh, I guess like 96, the internet started to pick up. So I started to search for help with this stuff. And I started to, I didn't even know sex. I mean, I, I heard of sex, sexual addiction, but I never encountered anybody that had it, that had to deal with it. So I went and I, and I started to research meetings and stuff. And I went to a few meetings and I found out that my issue wasn't really an issue. And <laughs> at least know, in contrast not, not, to, <laughs> not in contrast to a lot of other folks. And, you know, the, the thing that I had a, a issue with the most with that was that every time I had a sponsor, they were trying to have sex with me. And so oh, it, wow. it was, it was a thing. And so it just made me lose a lot of hope. And so I, I went into this space where I, I was looking to find out what was going on with me. And I found at, at, at a point some information that talked about addiction and what it was really, you know, what it, what what the basis of it was was connection, and that addiction is always a person looking to connect with something and they find a replacement for that connection. And so I was always looking to have the connection that I had with that one girl mm. in, in that sexual situation. The energy and the love that we experienced for each other was phenomenal. Um, the 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 contact, the connection, the way we touched each other, the way we looked at each other and spoke to each other is what I was desiring. And so I, I kind of, through that whole toxic situation with how I found out about her, her, her sexual traumas, uh, put me into this place where I, where I kind of attached my sexuality to that one act. And so I was looking to put it into this one act and find it. And so I was on this, this search to find this connection over and over again. And anybody who knows addiction, addiction is something with uh, short-term benefits, long-term consequences, long-term detrimental consequences. And so this, this sex over and over again and this constant stuff was, was wreaking havoc on my body. It was wreaking havoc on all my interactions, all of my relationships. It was, re- it was starting to leak into my career. And so I had to pull back. I had to step back. I had to do, I was reading books. This is where, this is where I started to read a lot of self-help books because I was ashamed to talk to anybody about it. 
couldn't talk to anybody at work about and it. And you you were proactive and brave and going to the meetings, and then your sponsors were trying to have sex with you. So it was just... so it was yeah. So it was this it was this whole thing. So I I was digging deep and I was going. I was I was at uh, Borders and Barnes and Nobles every week reading books. Looking I can at, just see you like going to the addiction <laughs> section and being like yeah. And it was like and then I like I would have the books and I would tuck them away so nobody could find them and all of this stuff. Wow. So it was still all of this hiding stuff going on. And so this opened me up to start to understand intimacy a lot more. And I started to, I started to read into Tantra and I started to read into all of these things when I was a young man. And, and, and it just didn't make sense. None of it made sense, but I had all the information from it. And so this, when this, all of this stuff pulled together later on, I started to see that intimacy was the thing that, that was missing. Mm-hmm. And intimacy being a deep, intricate connection. We have interactions, we have connections, and then we have intimacy. And intimacy is where things start to get interlaced and it's from a space of mutuality. Many of the things that I was looking to connect with and the people I was looking to connect with was attachment. It wasn't connection. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting because this is going to be a very generalizing statement, and I'm sure it goes both ways, but let's just say, for example, so men, when they want to connect, they want to have like that deeper connection and that more intimate connection, but they maybe don't fully understand that. So then they just think, oh, I, this is my point of connection is through my penis and through having sex when it's really not necessarily that kind of connection. I'm going, (laughs) (laughs) it's not that kind of connection that that their soul is really wanting. It's that deeper intimate piece, but they haven't connected those dots. They don't understand that yet. Well, where uh, as, uh, and I can speak from my vantage point as a man from this vantage point as a man. I can't speak, I will not speak for all men. I'll speak for me. I was taught that machismo, hiding your feelings and all of this stuff was, was the way to be. You had to, you had to perform this way. You had to, you had to provide, you had to not be, not cry, not be emotional. And all of these things actually blocked me from tapping into the emotions and the feelings and the sensations and letting other people see them. And again, that's me hiding my truth. And if I'm not hiding, if I'm hiding my truth behind shame, Another person can't see me fully to interact with me from a space so of So you're always blocking yourself. So I'm always blocking myself. And so sex was the closest I could get to people physically, but there was always the blockade of emotion, the blockade of of mental space where we could share concepts and ideas because I was not letting people in. Got and it. if I wasn't letting people in, they weren't letting me in. So intimacy was not there. There was a there was a physical connection or a physical interaction, but there wasn't intricacy. So there was intimacy missing from those spaces. And so when you get into the depth of connection, that's where intimacy resides. And that's where mutuality and co-creation happens. And that I believe is, is, our, is our space. As human beings, we connect with ourselves, all of the facets and assets and aspects of ourselves internally, externally, how we interact with the environment and that environment includes other people. And so if the more I am intimate, I mean, people can get intimate with computer programs and video games. They know the intricacies and the labyrinths of all of these things. They don't know the the labyrinths of themselves. And so when you can get into that intricacy with yourself, you have a connection. All of our emotions are always leading us back to connection, safety, and fulfillment. And so when, when you can see those spaces, Addiction doesn't happen because you are connected, you are safe, and you are fulfilled. Addiction, addiction provides very short-term situation that ends up beating the organism up. And I know there are some people, and you both feel free if something pings up to, to share on this, that are just go their whole lives too scared to face these addiction pieces. So, well, for for I guess for yours, you the coma really 
ironically woke you up. <laughs> and um, I would say it, it still took about six years after the coma to wake up. Uh-huh. I survived, but I didn't want to. So where did you guys get to that place of readiness where you, because it even to let yourself peer into the possibility that, oh, my sexual behavior seems unhealthy. Like even to just look into that a little bit takes a lot of courage. So how did you start to let yourself look? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, as a nurse, uh, it was it was a very dicey thing to be having so much sex and to know that like HIV was rampant in the 90s and I was caring New for York all City. of these I was caring for all of these HIV patients and here I am running the streets paying for for this paying for that having sex with all of these people most of the time it was protected some of the time it was not okay and 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 that is for I can feel it in my body don't say that uh, like I'm I'm telling you most of the time it was some of the time it was not. And there were times where I was frightened to death. Mm. I would get to work and I'd be like, what do I do? How do I ask somebody? Am, you know, do I, you know, and, and it got to this point where I started considering stealing antibiotics to take after having sex with people to protect myself from getting the clap or chlamydia or something like that. And so it would, it, it would just be this whole mess going on inside my body where now I'm starting to think about stealing stuff, you know? And so, and, and so this, this became another situation. What if, what would happen if I lost my license or lost my job? What if my mom found out all of these things get wound up and it moves me away from connection even further. And so this is, this is where all of this stuff starts to get really, really wonky, you know? And <laughs> I mean, there, there's so many layers to it. I know it's infinite. It, yeah. And so, so you didn't really suffer from, was sexual addiction the main addictive piece for you in your path? I mean, the, the, as far as an activity or uh -huh. a substance or anything like that, I never got into, I, I didn't drink until I was 25. Uh -huh. My first alcoholic beverage, I was 25 years old. I would dabble in cigarettes socially. I, I never got into marijuana, anything. I was never into substances because the, the medical industry had me brainwashed out to stay away from that. So, but my addictive space was people. I always wanted to be around people, particularly women. I always, and I think maybe it had something to do with my relationship with my mom and me wanting to be close to my mother. There was, there's something about women that I always wanted to be around. And so I would, I would be with all of these different women because I was looking for something and I didn't know what I was looking for. I was looking for connection. And so when I started to find connection, I started to back away from all of that stuff. Uh -huh. I didn't need it anymore because I started to learn how to connect. Got it, got it, got and it. And it wasn't okay. and it wasn't just with women that I was connecting with. I was connecting with my friends really, really deeply. You know, I had some really amazing conversations. I had like Marcus is one of the people that I was able to to really get into deep spaces and be honest with, as, as honest as I could be at the time. There was a lot of stuff I didn't tell him. You know, but, the, but I started to understand that the connection is what I wanted. I wanted to be able to be seen. I wanted to be able to be heard. I wanted to be able to be held in whatever. And this is the love that I showed Marcus, right? I showed all uh, the other friends that I had. No matter what happened to them, I was always there. I was always showing up, completely showing up. And so when they showed up for me, I felt held. And I didn't need to go out and, and, and see anybody or have sex with anybody because I've, I had this connection. And, that, and that's where I started to figure out that connection was what I wanted. Then I, it was this journey to find connection. 
Hey, Soul Fam, I want to take a moment to thank an incredible flower essence and flower elixir company called Lotus Way for making today's episode possible. As a shaman, I'm very tapped into and very much know the healing power of nature and the medicine and healing powers that come from certain energetics. And Lotus Way collects by hand from the wild and special gardens from all over the world. They have various products in their line, everything from aura mist to anointing oils to bath salts. But what I've been focusing on taking lately are their flower elixirs. I take them every day. And these are flower tonics that you take sublingually underneath your tongue, and they work through your acupuncture meridians. It's a liquid infusion of a flower or plant's chi or life force, and they have a powerful range of different elixirs to pick from. What I have been using are the Wild Abundance Elixir, and that's for prosperity, divine beauty, magic in everyday life, the Night Blooming Serious Elixir for big leaps and fearlessness, and the last one I've been diving into heavy is the Expansive Presence Elixir, and that's for power of receptivity, luminescent expression, and divine nourishment. And I can truly say that I've been experiencing this inexplicable support. I'm feeling it from the inside of myself. That's the best way that I, I can explain it. One little example, I was going through quite a tough experience last week. And it's one that I think the vast majority of the population, if they had gone through it, they would have also deemed it pretty challenging. But what I witnessed in myself was that I was able to move through that challenging experience with much greater strength and quickness and ease and grace while also holding a space of love. And I truly feel my new Elixir friends played a big role in this inner divine support. And you guys know I only share about products and brands that I truly believe in that have made a meaningful impact on my life. So I'm so excited to share Lotus Way with you. Perhaps you want to give some of these awesome products as a supportive gift to someone you love. So just head to www.lotusway.com. That's www www.lotuswei.com and you can use the code mystic m-y-s-t-i-c use code mystic at checkout for 15% off and the founder of lotus way katie is a truly lovely soul who i can tell is definitely in her calling with this work so don't forget to use code mystic to get your 15% off i can't wait to hear about what you decided to try tag me on instagram let me know which one spoke to you the most and how much you're loving Okay, and I want to get into the work that you guys facilitate that helps people navigate because as we've said a few times, like there are infinite nuances and infinite ways and, and all of that stuff. But before we get to that, is anything pinging up for you just in terms of, because I'm thinking about the listeners at home and if there are some people, because so many people are having their awakenings and their soul is just at that place of readiness where it's just about to burst because it's trying to get their attention to shift, course correct, whatever we want to call it. And so what can you tell those people that perhaps have also been wearing so many masks, they don't even know up from down anymore, are just in that web of, of lies and confusion, and they want to start somewhere. And I, I know everyone's path is different, mm -hmm. but what can possibly be a starting point, a question, an inner inquiry? What can they ask themselves? How can they start to open up to shift the way that you two did? 
I mean, two things that I tell everyone that we work with. The first question is, who told you that? When you proclaim or have definitive statements of, even in who I am, I am this. Mm -hmm. The definitiveness is rigid. It is inflexible and leaves no room for evolution. And so for me, starting with the question, who told you that? Well, this is what a man does. Who told you that? Where does your idea of what a man is or how a man performs come from? And is that what you choose? And it's, you know, part of it is taking back this sovereignty, this idea of who I desire to be. And what that can first look like is I'll close, or I've done this practice, closing my eyes, imagining people I really love and respect, identifying what characteristics I respect and would like to embody myself. And then as I kind of construct this individual that's based off of all these things I love about other people, that is me. That is who I desire to be. And it's the reflection of aspects of me I see in them. How deeply I embody it was the question. And so as I got clear, I started to try things on like an outfit, right? Like, okay, I would like to be someone that is a, we'll, we'll say for simplicity purposes, a better listener. Mm-hmm. What, what would that look like, mm. right? Do some exploration on that. And then I might realize, no, forget that. I don't care about being a good listener, you know, whatever. I got a lot to say, whatever it is trying things on without it becoming your identity right away. And the thing is, as you shift people in your life, it's who it actually makes most uncomfortable. As That's why when someone first, say, goes on a weight loss journey, if they're married to a spouse that's not taking that journey, a year and a half and 60 or more pounds down the road, it's rare they're still together. Why? They, They don't have the same beliefs anymore. Uh, One person's been showing up for a different path and even one degree difference one year from now, you're in two completely different places. So it's recognizing that if I'm looking to embody and be certain characteristics, if I want that to be sustainable, then getting people in my life that see where I'm growing to, that are, that are actually on team Cole as far as who I'm evolving to be. And so whether that's Facebook groups or clubhouse or friendships or whatever it is, if you don't create an infrastructure to support the changes and put yourself around people that have done it, once you find your story in other people, that's what helps change your mind. What is possible? If you've never been in a group of people who are self-made millionaires without big corporations, you cannot believe it's possible. But the more that you're around it and you're like, wow, you mean I could make half a million dollars a year with a team of two doing things that I love to do and serving and having a very contribution-based life? Being around people that have done that is what helps shape that, right? And so as you're trying on these outfits, who are the tailors in the light in your life to, to check on it and be like, yeah, I mean, this is nice. What you said was this, and I can construct it. If we take this in over here and lift the shoulder pad to here, you are a creator. And the more that you take that time and the more that I took that time, my life is not by accident, right? And it's not to say everything happens for a reason, I say we can find tremendous purpose out of everything that happens. Now my entire life is symbology. It's symbolic. When I see animals crossing the street, I'm reflecting what are the characteristics of that animal? What might be the message for me to slow down or to check in? And so the life that I've created was from that. Trying on an outfit. I want to 
I want more unconditional love in my life. So how, what work do I need to Mm. do to become more unconditional in my loving? Right. And so, you know, the simple version of that is be the person you want to attract. If you want people that are honest, that are integral the way that you are, everyone believes they're operating from integrity. And I would say most people are genuine, not necessarily authentic in how they are operating. Mm, I see what you mean. Yes. Which takes me to the next question. When we say, who told you that? Then my follow-up is, as you're making these shifts in your life, are you making this easy or are you making this hard? And as I asked myself that, because I worked hard and I hustled to create, I had a lot to make up for because I didn't go to college. Everyone told me you're not going to be shit. That's how it works. You don't have a degree. You only have a GED. And thankfully, I was the one driven. I was one of those personalities that said, I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. And so I was making six figures by the time I was 21. And that was because I was so determined to prove everyone wrong. The issue that translates over time, because everything has its expiration date of functionality for you. When that hustle drive mentality was no longer functional for me was when I started to do work in psychedelics and with plant medicine and with in shamanic spiritual practices that I was making it hard. I was making healing hard because if I heal hard enough, if I work hard enough, if I dig up enough stuff, I will be worthy of happiness. I'll be worthy of healing. I'll be worthy of joy and pleasure. And so it was time for that next evolution of what is it to be in ease? Yes. What is it to be pain-free? And that was something that I didn't know was possible. When I entered my shamanic path, we'll call it for to make it easy, as I entered that path, all I was trying to do was to make it suck less enough to get up every day. Mm-hmm. So the idea of pain-free, was not po- that wasn't even a possibility. But as that became possible, it was realizing the powerful creator that I am, anything is possible and everything is. And that is the relationship I live in. That is the house that we live in. That is the car that we drive. That is the dogs we adopted. That every part of my life, the more intimate I become with it, the more in love with it all Mm. I've become. That was so nice. I love watching you two just gaze at each other and respect and reverence and love. Uh, it's 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 something else. Like it never gets old. Like I, it, it never gets old. People have told us, "Oh, wait till the honeymoon phase is over." It, it never gets old. I really enjoy my time with you so much. We were heckled at the beginning for our relationship. They'd be like, "Oh, it's because it's new," yeah. and then it was because when we got married, it's because it was the honeymoon phase. And now, you know, we're kicking up to eight years, and we made the decision that the magic ends when we stop waving the wand and making it epic. And it hasn't mattered at any point from bankruptcy to abundance, to Thailand, to crappy one bedroom apartments, you know, with all lead paint and no windows. Like (laughs) it hasn't made any difference in our relationship. And when people say, you know, cause marriage is hard. We look at each other and we go, no, not not ours. Nope. Again, it goes to we have been indoctrinated that everything worth it is hard. And that if you work hard enough, if you keep hustling someday, you'll make it. Mm -hmm. And we started saying, I've already arrived. 
Mm-hmm. And the more that I recognized every little piece from these little baby armadillos sitting it on the so table. <laughs> to, so sweet. You know, the, the thing is, I started to fall in love with everything mm-hmm. and give myself permission to fully express that love. I made the conscious choice when I started to see Ta to ride it till the wheels fall off because I had a ex-boyfriend die of leukemia. And when he died, we had been talking about eight months before he died. And I didn't know the leukemia had come back. And so there was a lot of things that went unsaid. There's a lot of things I didn't tell him, you know, because it was 10 years later. And that pain in my heart, I said, never again, if I have love in it, will it go unexpressed to anyone? And I'm grateful for that time in my life because that was one of the other things that by the time this relationship started with Ta, every day we tell each other how much we love each other. Every day I look him in his eyes and say how grateful I am to have you in my life, to have such an amazing friend, to have such a sexy, beautiful container to view it in. (laughs) And that is something I'm so grateful to have you on this journey because I wouldn't change any of it to be right where I am. Not a moment, baby. I no. love you. I'm so grateful. You. You're so beautiful. And and I'm so filled with gratitude every moment that I get to spend with you. And it's fun rocking this with you and yeah. being in through all the waves and the ups and downs. I'm so grateful. We're it, riding in the cart together like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, swinging it back to your question around what people could start with. For me, it's awareness. Awareness of yourself awareness of your environment, awareness of how you're performing, awareness of what you love and what you don't like, what you don't love, what you don't want to be connected to. That's the first space. With anybody that we work with, it's always about awareness. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of what's going on with you? Are you aware? And that question, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who told you that? Who told you that? How did you get programmed into this? And it's really important when people start to, to wake themselves up and see that they've been programmed by a lot of different things. Yeah. And so the next thing that I would that I would encourage people to do is to view people. The, the way we work with people, we tell them uh, that there's an esteem hierarchy in our world right now. And human beings all over the place, I've traveled all over the world. I've worked with people all over this country. I've worked with people from every nation in this world and in these hospitals that I've worked with. No, well, just about every nation anyway, that there's a hierarchy. And at the top of that hierarchy, people tend to hold spirituality and spiritual situations. Below that, they tend to hold the mind and mental processes. Below that is construct. And construct being societal constructs like relationships, identity, gender, religion, corporations, nationalities, countries, all of those things are constructs. Below that is the heart and intuition space. Below that is the body. And below that is the microbiome and all of the things that live on us and in us. And what we, what, what I look to do is get people to take that totem pole of hierarchy and turn it sideways and hold all the aspects of the self in high esteem. If one aspect of you is held lower, the whole organism suffers. So it's important for us to remove the hierarchy of of esteem. Your spirituality is no more important than your body. And this is something that people will go into religious spaces and, and spiritual spaces, and they will not honor their body or their microbiome, the germs and the bugs and stuff that live in us and on us. They will not honor their intuition space, but they'll honor these things and they'll honor their societal constructs above all these other things. So bringing all those things into high esteem is really important. And when you look at the human organism, we are the only 
organism on this planet that stands with our chakras one on top of the other. All the other animals, including the great apes, are either at an angle, whatever, their, their chakras align with the planet. And so since we are not aligned with the planet like that, I think it may have something to do with how we put things into a hierarchy. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. So as, as, I, as we've been working with people and getting people to turn that totem pole sideways, they bring all aspects of the self into high esteem. If something is off with you, what part of me is not being upheld right now? How am I eating? Is my eating agreeing with my biome? Is it agreeing with how I think? Is it agreeing with my mind? Are these, uh, is my intu- am I following my intuition? Am I following all these things? How do I start to really observe? And it starts with awareness. Mm-hmm. Awareness of, the, of your hierarchy of esteem. Is your hi- are, are you in a hierarchy or are you honoring all parts of yourself? really and fully. God, so so those that. are the things those are the things that I would I would encourage people to start with is being aware of where you are in space. Do you like the place that you live in? Do you like your family? Like so many I've had, we've had so many clients sitting with us and tell us, you know, I love my kids but I don't want to be a parent. And it's okay to say that out loud. If this is where you are right now, it doesn't mean you're not going to care for your kids and not be a parent. Just say it out loud. Correct. And to be able to say that and articulate that allows your body to relax because yes. you're honoring your truth in the moment. It doesn't mean you're not going to be a great parent or, or your kids are not going to well, grow Well, and you can usually then figure out what you need because you may, you may need, it might be worth then realizing what, that the weight of it is there's too much on your shoulders. Can we financially pay someone to come clean the house once a week? Yeah, like, and, where can we offset some of the... And just letting yourself have that thought yes and then even more so say it out loud and be witnessed starts yes. to alchemize and right totally. and, and being and being witnessed in that space first have your awareness and then find a, a space that you can be safe to be witnessed when you can be witnessed in that it becomes even more real in a physiological realm yes right we can be in a mental space and not bring it into the body when you bring it into the body the body starts to interact your biome interacts, and then you bring that into your constructs. All of these things, everything starts to meld. Yes. And so when we when we when we fraction ourselves into these different parts, this is this is the thing with human beings. We tend to fraction everything. Well, oh, my mind. I have to honor my mind. I have to honor my job. I have to honor this. I have, we don't honor the full experience that we are in. So when we can, when we do move into the space of honoring the whole self. That's when we start to have this cohesion and an expansion. So for me, it's not about growing. It's not about getting better or fixing anything. It's about expanding. Mm -hmm. And when we expand and we overlap with our expansion with other people, we have mutuality of growth. And that's where I always encourage people to start their path. If they're looking to start a path or they don't know where to begin, start with awareness and start with the removal of that hierarchy and start to bring all aspects of the self into high esteem. I love it. Yeah. The big biggies for me um, when I had my divine intervention awakening moment was surrendering finally and getting out of my own way. And then I started this commitment, this radical commitment to truth. Just show me truth, you know, and and no longer being scared of what might present Mm -hmm. when truth presents and starting to trust myself, trusting that I can navigate any of the waves, any of the waters, any of the, the truths that come in about myself, about anything, just learning that I can be in that all encompassing of all that is journey dance. Just show me truth. Allow me to see truth, be truth be presented with truth were a couple of the big ones for me. So I, as this is Ceremony Circle podcast, and you both are just beautiful 
ceremonialists in different ways, this is the next place that I really want us to drop into before we get to any sort of wrap juncture in this interview is number one, I love how we learn more about our own personal medicine and all the infinite ways in which everything is medicine. Mm. And then not, not necessarily putting labels like, oh, this, my medicine works X, Y, and Z, right? Because we're, we're always, we're always uh, transforming. But I do like that the way your medicine tends to work from my perspective, it's just this, like you walked in to the pyramid the other day, our other night on solstice night or the night Mm -hmm. before solstice. We were all in ceremony together and you came in with like a sweatshirt that was says, I do whatever the fuck I want to do. Yeah, it says do whatever the fuck you want to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had to laugh, you know, I, <laughs> because I, and, and not that that encompasses like who you guys are as a medicine couple, but I just, I like the unabashedness and the openness. Like when I texted, you know, I was like, is anything like off limits when we talk? And you guys were like, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Everything nope. is open. <laughs> And I know there's a lot of aspects of you guys as individuals and as a couple who works together, but those themes I really relish and love about you guys. And so I would love if you could share, you know, cause even for me and my personal journey, like my medicine expressions for how I am of service for people has really transformed in a lot of ways from when I first realized the shaman in me to now. So h- how... In you two coming together, you had already been in the plant uh, medicine work and and so lovingly opened the door for Ta. <laughs> and so how did that journey begin for you two as a couple in learning, oh, there's something here for us to be of service with and then just learning, I would be fascinated to learn a couple of the little junctures along the way and how you started to understand how your offering could function. How does mm-hmm. it look, taste, smell? Who are we as this, this union? I don't even know if we ever really did decide. You know what it was? People started coming to us after we had been participating and co-creating and holding space and people started calling us the integrators. Uh, because there was a presence we had in being able to support truths in a way that we didn't need to fix it or change it. And that brought a lot of safety that people would express. And so it more turned into people kept coming to us and asking. And so we've, we've really, until now, been answering the call of what shows itself to us. Mm-hmm. Every time we tried to make a quote-unquote business plan, Uh, The last time we made a business plan for 18 months, COVID happened. (laughs) So for us, for me, it brought us back to, it brought me back to, we are here in the present moment. So for us to create a business plan that feeds into a trajectory that is based off current conditioning and current truths is actually kind of counterintuitive of who we are. And so we are currently in the dance of, like when COVID started and everything shut down, we resumed facilitating groups in April because enough people, we work mostly with biohackers, doctors, wellness-obsessed entrepreneurs, usually in the wellness space, not always, but people that are very contribution-driven. And they recognized in April that with the shutdowns and everything that was happening at that point, 
that what they were craving was their truth. And because of the collective noise of everything going on, they weren't able to show up and serve their families and their, their communities, which to them was not, that wasn't going to be functional. That wasn't going to work for them to not be of service and, you know, anxiety, feelings like that. And so we started meeting in person this year in April, which was against all social acceptability, acceptance, and all the rules that TV told you. Correct. All the rules of whoever told me. Right. You know, like you said earlier, I have been like the renegade rebel my entire life and finally honoring that it isn't that I don't consider to, to protect and to be as I'm of service. It's if I'm really going to be of source of God, then I know that all is divine. And I must, the only truth that I can really make decisions off of my physicality and my physical well-being and the people that interact with me is in that moment, in that prayer, in that connection, in that awareness. Correct. That there, you know, there's always going to be rules and then there's going to be guidelines and then there's going to be sometimes shit just needs to get done. And so in recognizing that energy, uh, we started meeting in person in small groups and stepping into, I would say now is the first time we're really creating a plan of what happens next. So, and that comes to educate this for people that are interested in the psychedelic space because overdoses, addiction are up 600%. Trauma is up significantly higher. Most people get trauma from their family and the people that are in their homes. And so next year, I see everything in, we can say, analysis, we can say strategist, we can say prophecy, whatever word resonates is fine with me. It doesn't I'm make gonna a difference to me. I'm going to go with prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> For ceremony circle, we'll say prophecy. I have seen the trajectory that we're on People are going to be reaching out for psychedelics and facilitation next year more than ever before. Mm -hmm. And in recognizing that there's a lot of danger that comes with that, complex PTSD, physical conditions, diabetes, things that come into play, we are not going to have the luxury of highly trained facilitators mm -hmm. for the need. We already have therapists whose lists are on wait lists. Right now, I had a friend wait on hold for the suicide hotline for 15 minutes. So what we know is we do not have an infrastructure to support the need. We know this to be true. We can see it through the statistics. So what I'm seeing and what I've decided for me and Ta and I are one of the things we're working on is literally a beginner's guide to what questions to ask. What are red flags? What are things to consider? How to prepare? What should I ask myself? What are my intentions here? Correct. And then resources because places like maps and there's, there's a lot of resource out there. It's like trying to not teach kids about sex and that only abstinence is the safest way. Well, we know what happens there. So for me, education is key, which means we won't be facilitating events except for in places where it's legal, because that's, as we step into this, we recognize that we'll have to leave the underground community of, of substance facilitation. And so I'm excited to create that infrastructure for people so that the people that do care, that do want to get trauma informed, we know great programs that can teach someone about trauma so they can do it safely. And recognizing that right now there is a collective passing out. There's going to be a lot of us trying to do CPR that learned it once in a class eight years ago and have never done it on a person. 
So this resuscitation, there's Mm. going to be a lot of humans in need of resuscitation and the best person will be the person that's there. And that's might only, you know, might be the only option in some circumstances. And I had to do a lot of work around self-righteous beliefs around what is proper and the right way to journey or guide someone to say that all of it is divine. All of it is welcome, lightness, darkness. It is all perfect. And by having education, it's something for the people that do care, the people that do want to learn more. And that people, as they explore facilitators, learning the difference between fear because of uncertainty and no in their body. Yes. Oh my gosh. You're hit. Like I literally just inside my own crown was like, ping, 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 ping. It was like (laughs) one of those uh, Price is Right uh, game show moments, literally just nailing, hitting the nail on the head on so much of what I have right here that I wanted you guys to talk about and that I hold is really important in my own being because with my shamanic practice and path, it's not been so, as you guys know, it's not been so much plant medicine driven. It has come in and when the call comes in, I always honor it. But I, so I, you know, I share about my own personal experiences, but I am not a facilitator of plant medicines. And so it's important, so important to me because when people come to me, because there is a lot of confusion about shamanism in general, and the education piece is at the forefront of my path now moving forward with the books I'm writing and things, I'm like, oh gosh, it's this educator role that I really was resisting in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. But anyways, that's another episode for another day. But yeah, so I am really starting to share about shamanism and and education. But when it comes to, because a lot of people are confused and think that shamanism equates to this or equates to that. And as we all know, shamanism doesn't necessarily equate to plant medicines Mm -hmm. or or not, you know, it's just, it's, it's it's the spiritual art of all that is. But I want to be able to direct people to people that I trust that do facilitate and work in the plant medicine space. And so I'm so happy to hear that you guys are really building that education piece because I want to be able to send all those that come in and ask me about plant medicines. I'm not an educator in that space. I want to be Mm -hmm. able to send them to you guys. So with that being said, If you could share, and I hear you about moving forward when you do your own um, practices and and circles, you will be in places where it's legal to do so. Yeah, it'll be like Costa Rica or Mexico. Right. Mm -hmm. So what plant medicines do you all facilitate and work with? Because I know you've worked with quite a few different ones. We have. You know, we've worked with a lot of different teachers, a lot of different tribes, a lot of different curenderos, ayahuasqueros, huachumeros. And for me, that was important to go to Peru and learn from people where the plants come from. Yeah. And we are an integration of all of the masters before us, right? Like we learn from different shamanic traditions. There's not one tradition. And so the two that have resonated the most deeply for me have been psilocybin, different varieties of psilocybin mushrooms, magic mushrooms as some might know it and Wachuma or San Pedro, which is a cactus from Peru. And it's one that is psychoactive, but it's not, it's not hallucinogenic by nature. Now, if someone has a very active visualization practice, they could close their eyes and certainly venture 
um, in a visual way, but it's meant to be done or not meant to be. I use it during the day. It's about connecting to the here and the now, the present self, the present truth. What is God in this earth? What is God in that leaf, in every breath, in the butterfly that just went by? It really shows you a level of connection that is God, that is that connection. And when you can come back to the breath and come back to that truth, that, are, that is the space you build from. That is so beautiful already because that's actually a medicine I've never done. I've never done San Pedro. And I love learning that it's one that can and should be used during the day. Because I think most people also equate to like maybe nighttime or overnight um, journeying experiences. So this is beautiful education already. Yeah, it's a beautiful plant. And especially in a Western mindset, harder, faster, more now, hustle, What we find is that most entrepreneurs we work with get drawn to ayahuasca because it's the the big one, that niboga. And the truth of it is they're looking to support more of the same of what their body, what they are embodied, which is doing as much as I can, as fast as I can for results. And so typically that means in an ayahuasca space, you're going to get more of the same, more chaos, more purging. Why? Because you believe that's necessary. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the issue that we see, and it's really common, is for an entrepreneur who's been very adrenaline-driven, we call that puma energy, but when it's a wounded puma, then it's coming from a space of hypervigilance, and they can't relax, and there's always a hunt, and then they're reactive, right? Like you can imagine a wild animal being hurt because they're still operating from a hurt space and an overcompensation, that they'll go into ayahuasca spaces And then they'll completely blow out their adrenal system, exhaustion, maybe come back and just have tons of allergies to different things because there's been a drive for more. And again, there's still no consent of the body. You're still making decisions based from the mind that if we just work through all of this as fast as possible, then we can move on. And so with Wachuma, where a lot of the power has come, has been really teaching high performance obsessed folks what the power is to slow down. I am, this is music to my ears. (laughs) Seriously, I'm so happy to hear this because as someone who had that previous life as a two-time national champion athlete and working in the entertainment media industry that is all about all of those facets you just described, I was told by Spirit a few years ago to cease, and I was literally... I relate to your birth story, how you incarnated like the firecracker (laughs) Molotov. I incarnated in the spotlight. So I literally born on New Year's Day. So I was like, the second I was born, I was in the newspaper. And then as this child star athlete, always in the media, always on the news, always magazines, all this stuff. And then as I had my spiritual awakenings and really started to learn about my shamanic medicine and what is my mission here with all of this, seeing again that a lot of it is to be shared publicly through the media in the spotlight. What happened was I was then instructed by Spirit a few years ago to cease all the ways that my shamanism was functioning, all the talks, the huge events, all this stuff. Stop it. Stop it all. And so I listened to that. I said, okay, I will do this. I live by the call, but you, I still, I'm living in Brooklyn on my own. I need to pay these bills. So I am requesting of you to then show me how to still live if I'm stopping doing all the ways that I'm making a living. So long story short, for two and a quarter years, I was out of the spotlight for the first time in my entire life. 
And while, yes, it was triggering because that was the only paradigm system I knew, <laughs> I knew to trust and to just keep holding the line forward. And I didn't know where, how long, didn't know where it was taking me, didn't know really what was going on. I just knew I needed to listen and trust. And I'm so ungodly grateful that I did because what happened in that two and a quarter years is it released and disintegrated and dissolved that old operating system of the push the stride, the go, the moving in life from that place. Mm -hmm. And that place was not the true place for me. And it was not going to be the place from which I could be of greatest service moving forward. So I am just so happy to hear that in your, your guys's way, that you are further facilitating us high driven, high performance people in learning the powers because in that two and a quarter year of stopping, pausing, removal from spotlight, it was the most powerful two and a quarter years of my life, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, I ceased all of those other operations. So I love hearing about this medicine. I'm like, oh gosh, now I'm being called to this medicine. <laughs> oh Lord. Um, so yeah, what else can you share before we get to the final little piece of just a little mini ceremony, which I mean, this whole talk has been ceremony, but what else can you share anything around these medicines, any of these education points, anything of ceremonial? I know there's so many do's and don'ts, but again, you guys, I know hold impeccable safe space. And that is so important perhaps the most important piece. So what else can you just share as you're saying, so many people are going to be drawn into these experiences. What can they look out for and really tune into to know if it's the right person to sit with or the right place to enter into? Yeah. For, for me, it's always tune into your body. If you do not feel safe, there's a feeling to, mm -hmm. to not being safe. Safety is in the moment. It not It's not, will I be safe? It's, am I safe right now? Do I feel safe to say yes to this right now? And can you really feel into that? And nine out of 10 times when people say are, are safe, they have an awesome experience. That one, that one 10%, that even that 1% of people that say, oh, I'm going to do it anyway, they usually have a lousy experience or, or they have something that they have a new thing that they need to work on. So safety is of the utmost importance when it comes to anything like this, with, with choosing the people who you're going to work with, with the not just the people, but the location, the place, you know, the setting. When you get there, if it's a no, then leave. Yep. Yes. And please do leave. not people please feel bad. And do and if if you're if you're getting your money back is an issue. You can always get more money later. Yep. Let it go. Let it go. Mm -hmm. If the, if they're if if you're working with people and you go for a ceremony and you're like, no, and they're not going to give you your money back. Is that somebody you want to be working with in the first place? Mm -mm. If anybody ever, it, ever comes to anything that we do, as far as this, this type of work is concerned, and they're like, I'm out, here's your money back. How can I support you anyway? What, what do you need direction to something else? The people that you work with have to really care about you as an individual, not making a buck. And there are people out here who are making a buck off of ceremony work. Well, and there's, there are, there are dangerous things. You know, there are people that are preyed upon. And so I think that always remembering that whether they're a shaman, a curandero, a facilitator, that they still do not have more mastery over you. Correct. They still do not know what it is to be in your body, in your experiences. And anyone that won't slow down long enough to have a real intimate conversation with you, I know that I wouldn't work with them. 
Like for us, our onboarding process is a long form of your birth story, your trauma history, surgeries. Like you said, we would have already have known about, you know, like competition with a parent and all that stuff. And you guys did because we were on that phone call, that totally. intake phone call for like three hours one night. The thing is we take <laughs> as long as it takes because one, we care. Secondly, the body has its own intelligence. And by seeing some of the history, we have a pretty good idea what's going to happen. We can't tell someone what their individual experience will be. I can tell them what their physical experience from an outward perspective will be in their safety, which is we're for as a facilitator myself, my goal, like the reason I don't call myself a shaman is because I'm working in the third dimension with bodies. So if we look at the medicine wheel, heart, mind, body, soul, we'll say different things access each, but they all can access each other. So if I do something like breath work, I'm going through body to spirit, mm-hmm. right? If I do plant medicine, if I'm doing ayahuasca, I'm going through spirit into body. And that's why it takes it into other interdimensional spaces. Psilocybin is spirit that can take you to your heart. MDMA is heart medicine that can take me to my body, that can take me to my mind, that can take me to my soul. And so as I started to just view it that way, then I started to go, the point of all of this work is to trust myself. Mm -hmm. And so if I get to a circle and the first thing I do is not trust myself, I usually then was reflected in the ceremony in some way of, man, I knew I shouldn't have right? Shooting again, shooting all over myself, not listening to myself. And so I celebrate if someone comes, is supposed to come to one of our groups and then it's just not feeling resonant. We honor that because that is the point of the work is not at our convenience, not at financial convenience, not at financial or energetic or how many people are supposed to be there. Yes. We trust. And the more that we started to trust, and that's, that was a process for us too, because sometimes people back out because they're scared. Mm-hmm, right. And even right. if that's the case, then we get on the phone and talk. Right. And if it's a body, no, we honor that first. Yes. Because it is about the individual. It is about the financial, emotional, spiritual safety. And, about and if the we're not doing that too, it's all uh, taking mm-hmm. it all back to yeah. being just present. Yes. To what is. Yes, to what is. Because I'm thinking just like this tiny little example of a flash when I don't work with many people one-on-one. It's just not how my transmissions and and mission really works. You know, it's more through media and and books and and big, big groups. But on occasion, when I can tell I'm supposed to work with someone and an inquiry comes in, I will honor that. And this um, one beautiful woman, you know, after our session, um, she was having a lot of activations and, and really, it was really resonating for her. And so she said, you know, about booking, you know, can we book more now? And I said, no, because be, let's just see what happens? Because I could feel she was having so many activations. I really didn't think she was going to need more sessions with me. I said, I am open to it, but let's just see what happens. Let me know if in a week, three months, you feel like you still need another session, contact me. But she didn't, Hmm. you know, because, and so I didn't even want to book the additional. I just wanted to be present and I wanted her to be present. And Mm -hmm. like, you might not need to work with me again. Yeah. You know? Well, the point is to get to where you don't need plants as tools. You yeah. don't need mentors. Like 
or rather teachers, then everything becomes more collaborative and integrated. Yes. Like now people that come to our groups are physicians we go to, right? Like now we have a community where we do still exchange finance because of the system that we function in. Right. However, we all have sovereignty over our individual being. And in that sovereignty, that means that the whole intention is that no one's ever reliant on us. Right. Yes. You know, it's like we're here to reflect and support to get you back on your feet, but it's like a cast. Yeah, when the break is there, we'll come to help support. But it reaches a point that it's got to be removed or it begins to atrophy the organism. And the same happens in a shamanic plant facilitator space where the person becomes reliant. And so if you go to a circle where the circle leader, shaman, facilitator is supporting you needing them, something to reflect on. It's definitely and, and, and that and that fortifies the the anchoring into addiction. Mm-hmm. People are there are plenty of people who are addicted to, to support to, to support and to ceremonies. Yeah. We've we've had tons of people that we've helped move through that space into mm. a space of empowerment. And this again, removal of the hierarchy of esteem of other people, taking people off of pedestals so that you can see them eye to eye. Yes. When when we are in a co-creative space, it's co-creation. When somebody else is creating something out for us, it's it's a bit of a domination. Right. And so there is a, a mutuality that kind of isn't in play in that space. And so we are looking, we are always encouraging people, is this person looking to help you uplift yourself and be on your own? Are they looking to have a permanent client that they can constantly mm-hmm. get some income from or some energetic significance from? Yes. And there are people in in, in a lot of different work. Uh, there are physicians, there are practitioners that are always looking to keep people just below the surface of sovereignty so that they come back. And I mean, if you look at our healthcare industry, the way it is, yeah. it's sick care. We keep people just well enough to need us. And then they come back to the hospital. They come back to the hospital. It fortifies a system. And so recognizing that type of system in the plant medicine or the shamanic circles world is really important, I believe. In, and, and, and that's having sovereignty and safety within the self. Yes. So are they in support of you being safe and sovereign? Are they able to, to, to stop and take that minute to breathe with you and to, and to bring you on, to onboard you with love and consideration, that's that's a, an important space for me. And again, it brings brings me back to the piece you brought up of the awareness, having the awareness. So reflecting on your journey, you know, on your journey of sitting in ceremonies and loving the. I mean, because it is it's a juicy experience, you know, when you're sharing that space with other people and integrating and sharing the next day and hearing other people's experiences. It's very captivating and magnetizing, and you know, I I, I love the times that I. I am pulled into it, but just again, being aware, if it's something you just continuously want to go back to again and again and again, maybe take a moment of pause and ask yourself, just, just take a, take a breather to see, okay, with where I'm at now, like maybe that successive repetition was needed, but with where I'm at right now, like, do I really need to go back into this place and just having the the conscious awareness of yeah. where you're at. Well, and maybe what you're seeking is authentic connection. Mm-hmm. Maybe what you're what you're desiring is some ritual of a reminder of who you are. And so when you'll stop and reflect in what is it that I'm drawn to? Can I create that by choice by integrating these valuable components into my life? Like now part of my daily ritual is to burn some sort of either sweet grass or Palo Santo or, or sage or whatever it is, because um, we have lots of options, then 
that helps me clear the space of the house to remind me I'm starting fresh today. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving any shadows of yesterday, the past. It's a symbolic ritual that is often common in ceremonies to clear the space. So I realized how valuable and powerful that is for me to every day clear my space for what is and just let everything else go. Mm-hmm. Mm. So good. So the last, very last thing I just knew, the second I read this, I I saw like a ping of light affirming, must ask about this. (laughs) Why is fun, play, creativity, why is this the key? (laughs) So fun is actually, when, when we're born into this world as human children, the first thing we do is learn how to play. We play with the environment, we play with the air, we play with our body parts, we, we play and we learn to be interactive. And that's how we learn to be intimate with everything. We are taught to not be interactive, to fortify structures like businesses, fortify convenience, uh, to, to not make noise for society. And so our play is thwarted. So our exploration and our intimacy with the environment and the people around us gets knocked out. When we learn to play, it's playing. I can pick this pen up and and kind of explore and and kind of twist it and open it and close it and see what's inside with the spring. I'm actually playing because I'm curious. And when we take our curiosity and we move the curiosity to the side, the curiosity of movement, the curiosity of taste, of smell, all of our senses, when we move that to the side, we are actually denying a huge part of our expansion and our connection. And connection is what I believe humans create more than anything is connection. And when our connection is put to the side to honor systems and constructs, it becomes problematic. So being in the fun is the play. Being in that space brings a smile on your face. And when your smile is on your face, it, it, it causes the body to, to push a lot of really awesome hormones that cause the body to relax and be in ease. Mm-hmm. And the opposite of disease is not health, it is ease. And play and fun actually gets you into a place where you are at ease, where you are in congruence and you are connected with everything around you. You can lay flat on your back and still be playing with the environment. You can be playing with the sensations that you're having. This is all fun for me. And so as we move into a space where we get people to honor that fun, the fun is yours. We had a, we had a client one time was like, well, I just like to read books. That's not fun. I was like, is it fun for you? He's like, oh, I was like, tell me about the characters. And he starts telling me about the characters. And he's like, oh my gosh. I am having that fun. That is my fun. That is my fun. Mm. Know what your fun is. Become intimate with your fun. That's your exploration. It's an exploration of your imagination. It's an exploration of your body. It's an exploration of your relationships. It's an exploration with curiosity. Well, and if you if you even just imagine the times that you have a really good time, it's energy feeding. And so I was so hardwired and patterned into pain for transformation that if it didn't hurt, it wasn't worth it. And then I also learned that pain and pleasure were, I couldn't have one without the other. And so as I, my mantra last year was permission to play, mm. because as a child, it was like, finish your homework, then you can play. Finish this, then you can go play. Then I got jobs. After I finish work, then I can go play. When I'm done for the weekend, I can play. It just looks different. And so as I got older and older, and I, as I, as an entrepreneur worked for myself, I realized I wasn't giving myself permission. I was still waiting for someone out there to tell me, oh no, that's good, go play. Because that was how I was trained. And when I was no longer working for anyone else, there was no one to tell me, 
no, no, go. That's good. You got Mm. enough done for now. And so I was just driving myself into the ground and how I was creating and how much I was teaching fitness classes and all this stuff. I loved it. No question. But there wasn't, there wasn't really an inclusivity of play. And over four years, I learned how to include play in everything that I do. What's one way it looks like for you? What do you do? I do weird voices. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And just doing, just being silly. And one of the things that I realized is that's what helps my body from posturing and from, from being so constricted and expectation, just infusing unexpected things. I was actually, so here's another thing, going into grocery stores with a mask. No one can see my mouth is moving. So I'd start singing really loud, but I can do ventriloquism. So my face is dead plus the mask. You really can't see it. And so I'd go in and I'd just start doing like opera sounds in the grocery store and just keep walking as if nothing's happening. So people are looking and no one knows where it's coming from. To me, that's hysterical. So it's like giving myself permission to have fun with myself without needing anyone else to do it with me. And then I'd get out in the car and I'd just be giggling. I'm sure it was super obnoxious to other people, but I just, I said, if I'm going to wear a mask in a store, then I'm going to sing in a store, right? Because to me, that was hysterical. So for me, it's the little moments. And Ta and I, if we, not if, we laugh every day. Mm -hmm. That's why it never matters how much money we make And we've been at times after bankruptcy, no credit cards, counting change for food. Like we have been there and in other times besides that. And we realized that when we had quote unquote nothing and we gave ourselves permission to play, that's where we create everything from now. And Mm. so we, we understand the expansive potentiality of humans that you can be having a crappy day and be amazing. Yes. I can still laugh in between the anger. Absolutely. We can be with a client going into very deep trauma wounds and then afterwards like make a poop joke because for us, that is how powerful humans are is that we can feel all of it. Only your focus changes. Yes. It's yes. always, all of those feelings are there depending on what you focus it on. It's reminding me when Luke and I were in the car, I think it was just yesterday. Yeah. I was so hungry. We were transferring Airbnbs and it was just an interesting day. A lot of dynamics going on. And I realized we got in the car and we had all these places to go and I hadn't really properly eaten. And the, the hangriness level was really getting high and really expanding. And to the point where I was just like, so you know, I was hangry and, um, and I was aware and I was saying like, I know I'm being hangry right now, but I'm so hungry and I, <laughs> I get real pouty and I'm like, I'm just so mad. I just, I don't want to get in the back and try to find where I put the stuff for the sandwich because then I have to get outside of the car and it's cold today. And, you know, so I get like really pouty and I was mad and he was like, we're just, we're going to find, we're going to find you. He's, he's really great with me. It's so sweet. He's like, we're, we're just going to go down this road here. We're in the car and we're just going to find you a place to eat. And I was like, no, there's no places on this road to eat. I remember this road. And then in the midst of me being angry and pouty and salty and, you know, my body also blood sugar drops and all of that. I remember that on this road, there's this restaurant called Pooters. And so all of a sudden in the midst of this, I start laughing. I'm like, you're going to have to take me to Pooters to eat. And so then we start having this really funny experience of, of, 
booters and like, you're going to have to take me somewhere to, you know, to, to this restaurant to eat. And I was laughing hysterically. I'm like, take me on into pooter, daddy. You know, and like, and so I just, it's so true. Like you can just be in it all. Yep. The yeah. and, the, the magic of the word and, you know, it's all inclusive. You know, that's, I could that, be amazing that, and, and yeah, angry. It, you, you can have all of it at the same time. These ideas that we have to be polarized is troublesome as far as I'm concerned. We have to be this or that. This but that. That binary you know, that, trap. That, that binary, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's swinging the pendulum. I like to swim in what I call the nolarity, which is not directly a polarized space. So it's there's poles and then there's the space in between. I like to ride all of the juiciness in, yeah. the, in the middle. You know, fun is the part uh, is, is a huge part of the fountain of youth. And when when we we're kids, we we're allowed to play and we're allowed to have this stuff, and we are allowed by our parents to a point to a until it's inconvenient. And then we learn that our expansion, our growth and, and our connection is inconvenient to other people. So we kind of push it away and we kind of hide it so that other people are convenienced by our behavior. And, and so having that fun space is really important. And if you want to see fun on my Instagram page, like Tafari, T-A-H-F-R-E-E on my Instagram page, and you scroll down a little, there's a comparison of me and of me 10 years prior to another space. And you can see the, the whole difference in my body, the glasses, the body fat, all of this stuff. I was working out back then too. And my body was just holding on to a whole bunch of stuff because I was in such a crappy space. I wasn't having fun. As soon as I started allowing after that, that first journey with Cole, I started to allow myself to have fun, to actually explore. And it allowed my body to relax mm-hmm. and to really get into into this mutual experience of my environment and the people around me. And I think that that exploration is a huge part of what fun is and why play is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Man, I know that we need to wrap this up. My God, I could talk to you guys all day because <laughs> I really also wanted to dive more into the ceremony stuff, but I guess that's just meant to be left for those who are feeling resonant with your work to go to your... Let's go ahead and, and before we do the little mini ceremony, um, where, where can people find you? So if there, for anyone listening, if you want to hear more conversations like this on Clubhouse, which is a new social networking app on Wednesdays, we're going to be having like this past Wednesday, we talked with Dr. Dave Rabin, who's, you know, psychotherapist, psychologist in psychedelic research. And we're going to be having conversations with everyone from shaman to scientists around psychedelics for a therapeutic lens. And what's after that? So we are, our call is really for the after the healing. Mm-hmm. What happens when the healing has occurred and we're looking at the evolution for humanity? What systems need to come into place? So we need to be looking at the stars instead of the ground. What, what's to come? And so we're really into innovation. So if that speaks to you, that's really our, our field that we're excited for. And we will always send resources. So if you're looking for someone, somewhere, locations, we can. We are happy to make recommendations of people we vetted, know, and trust. So you can always hit us on Instagram. You know, we have Ta Cole, which is T A H K O L E. Or if you follow Mister Cole, which is mine with a K, <laughs> Taz is Ta Free. But really, you'll find us. Uh, we're we make ourselves pretty accessible in as many ways as we can. Um, you can also text 22999 and do the word optimize with a Z. And that will get you on basically like our mailing list just for events. So when we're doing mm. master classes or anything, that's the list we send it to because we know email is a little overwhelming for many. 
So you'll find us. I mean, at this point, it's like throw a rock, we'll be there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and for those who are still into URLs, we have tacole.com, T A H K O L E dot com. Podcast, Mentor in the Mirror podcast, lots yeah. of. And so, places. do you guys have anything on the books right now in terms of Costa Rica, in terms of circles, ceremonies, plant medicines? Not at this moment, because we're still, you know, the season we're in right now, traveling is still a little bit. I um, keep forgetting tricky. about that. Stuff. I know. Yeah. I know. So, not at this moment. We do have a trip to Peru on that we are tentatively planning the first week of October. Okay. And that is mostly geared for entrepreneurs in that are contribution driven in the wellness space because we're basically mixing masterminds and power plants. So we will have, we're bringing um, ayahuasqueros out of the jungle to meet us in Sacred Valley so that we do a beautiful deep ceremony and then we go to nice comfy beds because it, that is the privilege that we have designed for our life now is that the energetic needs of our body needs rest um, in very deep ways. And so we have, we have crafted that in bringing people out of the jungle. And that's also safer for the jungle than taking so many people to tourism in the jungle. So that there is information on our website about that. And right now that's the plan and that's the intention. My last little question, um, I keep saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> is, is, was it any of the uh, ayahuasqueros that you just referenced, um, I didn't hear this, but Luke mentioned it. And I do just think it's an important little nugget to touch on. It's a big nugget, but I at least want to work it in, in, a, in a small way. Uh, was it one of them who was the shaman who shared with you about the importance when it comes to people that are not born into a particular lineage, mm -hmm. um, but then are called to it? and learn it and work from reverence and integrity from that, that they were sharing, um, look, it's not about race to us. We need these traditions to continue. Can you just share a little bit about that? And that was actually a harder pill for me to swallow actually, because from my first traditional ceremony in Peru, and I say traditional because it was in Peru and it was in the jungle. Um, and I had done work with other psychedelics and plants previous to that. Um, and he said, your inner shaman is waking up. Now, to him, we, he, did, he only was starting to learn Spanish. So his languaging is also going to have different meaning. So he had mentioned that, and I kind of rejected that concept. I was like, yep, okay, pal, thanks, right? And then my next teacher was a Wachumero, and he said, to come here for the intelligence of the plants and then doubt the intelligence of the plants is not trust. So as I started to, because... My deepest study initially wasn't with Wachuma. And so to me, it felt like I haven't studied long enough to deserve the right to carry it. And it was actually one of our teachers in Peru that said, that's not how it works. It's not for six months and after a hundred ceremonies. It is, I can say from my perspective, the intentionality that you carry is all that you need. For me personally, not, he wasn't saying for everyone. And he said, so to get the call where Wachuma says, I choose you, for me to doubt you is me to doubt the medicine that I trust. And so for him, and then I had another, because everything tends to come in threes for me before I will allow it in. The other one was ayahuasca. And I said, I'm concerned with all this shamanism that the land is being raped and you're being raped by, you know, white culture and Western culture. Like, what can we do to protect you? And the, the conversation through imagery that she showed me is she knows the cost of being seen. 
and how that will deplete her and that it's time Mm. and that it's okay. And so it always goes back to, yes, intentionality, yes, honoring the traditions, yes, making sure that when touristic shamanism impacted Iquitos, that these families and villages have money and food and what they need. Yes, to all of that. It's the inclusivity of all of these concepts. And there is not one. There's not one truth, not in the jungle, not in Iquitos, not in Cusco, not in the United States. And it's the inclusivity of all the truths. Where do we all agree about taking care of the land? Where do we all agree in loving each other? Where do we all agree is the full expression of sovereignty and connectedness? And when I, when I started to relax into that, that's also when I realized that I was self-righteously shaming and condemning other people for either cultural appropriation or otherwise on this witch hunt of what was the right way. And it was the teachers from what we would call indigenous cultures that said, no, it's time. It's time for these teachings to transfer. Right now is the time of the eagle and the condor, which is the meeting of North and South America for peace. This is as it has been prophesied. And the deeper I learned into shamanism, the more I realized and was taught what we call shamanism currently as being the right way is only accurate as of the last 30 or 40 years in how it's being done. And one of our teachers in Peru, Awachumero, is the one that said, tradition in all of its beauty can become a prison. And in the evolution of humanity, we wouldn't be sitting here if it was for tradition. In most of those circles, no one except for the medicine man or woman would be taking it because depending on what tribe and what culture, the participants didn't take it, the medicine man did, to bring the messages. So it's really the, the second we go to shame, blame, and separation, we are denying the divine. We are denying that it is all of God and it is all of this creation. It is the light that casts the shadows. It is the shadow that even recognizes there is light. And the more, you know, it's, it's like the, I've heard in other circles, the more I knew, the more I allowed myself to know, the more I realized I didn't know, and the more questions and curiosity I came from. And curiosity is innovation and freedom. And play. And play. You're so yummy. Yeah, that was so nice. I have so much I could add to that, but I feel very complete in just letting that sharing be that sharing for now. And thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. that sharing, because I think it is a very important one. My gosh, do you feel called to do a mini something or do you feel really complete? I'm always good to. I'm good to do whatever. I'm yeah. complete. Okay, I, I'm, cool. I'm always complete. Uh, yeah, yeah. Both. <laughs> and we're always open. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. We are all, everything all at once. So yeah, what uh, what do you feel called to offer up? Are you down for a little freestyle? Let's do it. Cool. So I'm going to put my mic over by the rattle so it catches that. Warm outside, but it's not Cali. 
Want to give my thanks to the girl Callie. I mean Allie. For having us here, we gonna last. Ceremony Circle Podcast. We on blast to the outer realms. Standing on the helm of the ship of my life. Good to be doing it with my wife, Cole. I glisten and glean. Broadcast with self-esteem. The totem pole of life is what we live. We're going to turn it to the side so we can give all of those points the highest of esteem. So we can shine so that you know what I mean. I'd like to thank her, the heaven, the earth, the earth, the place of my birth. Old, the new, the relics, the expansion with the psychedelics. Fun is the part of the fountain of youth where I hide my truth. And I'm dumb hiding, so I'ma bring it to the surface. I'ma open it up so I can birth this to all the people. While I rap, I gotta ask the question, please, who told you that? Find out. You could be scared this. The opening to the space of awareness. Is that what you choose in your life? Is that what you choose or do you choose strife? Can you open it up, your mind, your body, your soul? Can you open it up? Can you let go of control? Can you surrender? For all of the members of society, sobriety is what you don't need. You need to be loose, loosey goose. That's where you find your truth. So have that fun, shine like the sun. Together we all connect as the one, the one, the universe, the place we be. That be me, you and I, we see. Through the third eye, we got this together. Through the heat and cold, through any kind of weather. And I'd like to share my harmony with you and me together. Yes, we see. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you so much. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Love you, love you, love you. Yeah, just having fun with it. You know, it, music is such a big part of everything that we do. You know, and if you look back at any cultures, sitting around a fire through song, through story. That's why having podcasts is our storytelling now. Becoming a teacher is after all of the experiences you turn back and you teach. And so for us to create as a community and adding music and different people contributing is the magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so great. And that's why Ceremony Circle Podcast was born. It's It's Set putting the fire in the center and bringing people that I trust who I know are embodied and, and integrity filled to share space with and then to co-create the world's largest ceremony circles together between us and everyone in the soul fam that's listening and all the different activation points all around the world as everyone comes together to listen to these episodes. It's just this beautiful fire in the center gathering of just playing, learning, feeling being and and all the all the great things all the yumminess yeah <laughs> so thank you thank guys. you again that was so wonderful i could feel it and i'm not surprised that this one is running so long <laughs> um so i hope you guys aren't too tired because you need to reset and recharge and then go on luke's uh podcast the lifestyle. <laughs> we got it the thing is i'm never at a shortness of things to talk about no, yeah no. yeah good well I, with all of that i'm going to do a little rattling us out and just Closing off this beautiful co-created ceremony circle space that we all united in together. Just thanking Great Spirit, Great Mother Earth, and just 
our own divine power, love, light, magnificence for all conjuring together to just emit whatever was meant to emit in this exact point on glorious planet Earth. Thank you all for listening. Until next time. Woo! What a powerful voyage that was. It is just my greatest honor. It brings me so much joy and activates and lights up my soul to be able to sit with these incredible embodied true spiritual masters and leaders from all over the world. I ask that you please, if you feel called, continue to support them and their work in whatever way that feels aligned for you. Please go to my website where all the show notes are listed www.alisoncharles.com. That's www.alisoncharles.com. So that you can access their direct links to their website and social media platforms and additional information about them. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle so unique is that at the end of every single episode, as you just experienced, we immerse in a powerful ceremony, ritual, invocation, prayer, spiritual song, some sort of activation that the guest feels called to offer on that day. So listen to your intuition. If at any point, Moving forward, you feel called to come back and re-immerse in this guided ceremonial experience, do so. Because I guarantee every single time you experience it, you will receive a new medicine transmission, a new awareness, a new awakening aspect within your soul. It has been an honor voyaging with you. Please keep the Ceremony Circle community vibes growing and activating. Find me on Instagram at I am Allison Charles. And let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Let me know how you are creating your own sacred ceremony circle space. Tag those in your soul fam who are immersing in the ceremony circle episodes and experiences with you. And let's unite in the next episode coming out next week so we can continue to activate the consciousness energies of planet Earth and the universes. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.